This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. That's it, people. ComicBookClick.com is the one stop for all things Comic Book Click, our merchandise, our articles, and every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. Visit ComicBookClick.com and remember, you, yes, you are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you can only be here for one reason and that's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comicbookclick.com and as always i'm never alone sir please introduce yourself howdy this is peter from the marvelous peter melnick and yeah you can find me on a wide variety of social media platforms i'm on uh facebook at facebook dot com slash peter melnick podcaster i'm on uh instagram and twitter at peter melnick and i don't know why but i'm on tiktok and you can find me <laughs> at peter melnick but better because that the, that peter melnick name's already been taken so hey listen bro there's so yeah. much there's so many new mediums out there I'm, I'm glad you're on top of it you know you got the tiktok i went i just got tout so I'm a little bit late to the game when it comes to this. Is this is 2014 again. <laughs> I'm a little bit late to the game when it comes to this stuff. But it's been a while since you've been here, Peter. How are you? How have you been handling this pandemic? How have the Marvelous found ways to navigate around the lack of content with Marvel recently? Right? You guys were you had two big movies supposed to be uh, debuting this summer. Um, how are you guys handling everything over there? We're, we're handling it much better than the team behind New Mutants. I know that for a fact. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, that's true. But basically, uh, since everything's been going on, we've been, we've been busy with batch recording a lot of stuff. Um, when this episode goes live, I believe we're going to have up our episode with uh, Mark Flitman, the producer of the Maximum Carnage game from oh, awesome. the Super Nintendo Sega Genesis. And then, right, then, like, we're going we're gonna to sandwich it. So it's going to be him, and then we're going to take a mini break from Maximum Carnage and go over into uh, Larry Houston, okay. the uh, producer of the X-Men animated series. And then we go into Return of Maximum Carnage wow. with uh, Bill Manspeaker of the band Green Jello, who is responsible for the music of the game. Oh, that's awesome. And... Basically, what we've been doing is a lot of batch recordings, a lot of, you know, um, things like that. So, you know, we contact different people. Like, we just did an episode with, uh, we did it, one episode with each of them, but it was at different times. So, like, the week before, we did an episode with Rob Liefeld, the co-creator of Deadpool. Right. And a few weeks earlier, I want to say back in May... Or early June, we did an episode with Fabian Nicieza, wow. who is also the co-creator of Deadpool. Right. But if you notice, it's different audio quality. Uh, I started then realizing, oh, shit, I could have been recording this on my end and sending it to our <laughs> audio engineer. <laughs> right, right, right. So some episodes, like, you'll notice a change in quality. Um, and, you know, it's in terms of, like, I'm just calling in as a phoner. Whereas, you know, now recently we are able to go back into the studio record you know again with the pandemic and everything 
it sucks, but it's keeping us busy helping create content for listeners. And, you know, we, we have some stuff up our sleeves. All I'm going to say is this, uh, I'm not going to say what it is, but Patreon is happening very, very soon. Awesome. And if you've seen my uh, profile photo on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, that's a hint of what's to come. And the number four, yeah, there's some interesting. Very, yeah, it's a very interesting picture. Uh, I would, I will, pro, send, you the, I will uh, send you guys to go, and I can put the link in the show notes. But I, yeah, you guys need to go follow everything that's going on over there at Marvelous with Peter. And yeah, the, you guys do seem to be cooking up something big. I find that with this going on, it's kind of a make or break kind of situation for content creators, where you either you know uh, go with the new flow or you kind of sink. And especially with us here yeah. as well, like. I do these schedules around the release dates of these shows and movies and stuff. And every time we do get like a full two month out of scheduling, we're just changing everything up again because nothing's coming out. There's nothing to prep for. Uh, and it's been kind of crazy when it comes to that. So we figured with everything going the way that it is, this uh, by the time this episode comes out, it would be around the six year anniversary of the release of Guardians of the Galaxy which came out obviously in 2014 in phase two of Marvel. And when I was going to talk Guardians of the Galaxy, I knew I had to get you on the episode, Peter. I know I know how much of a huge fan um, you are. I, I guess what I wanted to ask up front is, was your fandom, uh, was the prerequisite for your fandom knowledge of these characters in the comics? Had you hadn't been following them up until that point? Or did this make a, did this transform you into a Guardians fan? So basically when the movie came out, I remember hearing um, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be coming into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And around the time I heard this, it was, I want to say, 2012. Okay. Like that was when I first heard about it. And I used to go to this uh, local comic shop called Dark Tower Comics in Newburgh, New York. No longer around. But he would have like in the middle of the store a wide variety of books. And they were... um, like, you know, dollar bin fodder. And I noticed I saw Guardians of the Galaxy number one sitting in there. I'm like, oh, my God, this is it's going to be a movie. I might as well get this. <laughs> right. Realizing, on the other hand, this is the Jim Valentino run of the Guardians 3000 line. <laughs> so no Star-Lord, no Gamora, right, right. etc. I did eventually come across uh, the 2008 run with the, mo- the quote unquote modern lineup. Although, you know, you have Bug in there or whatever yeah. his name is, the Bug guy. Yeah, I think his name is Bug from or something like that. Right. <laughs> But that run was, you know, whatever. And as a matter of fact, that book now goes for a ton of money. I paid 75 cents for that. (laughs) But I digress. Um, Right. But one thing about it was I had no idea who these characters were. And I went into the movie blind, essentially. And I was like, you know, I was waiting, reading, you know, Rotten Tomatoes. I'm one of those people like I'm I believe a lot of, you know, the reviews the aggregate score kind of reflects how I feel about a lot of these movies. Okay. For example, Joker gets like about a 60 something percent rating. Oh, that's accurate because that movie is very, uh, it's boneless King of comedy in my opinion, man. Listen, but just for real quick, real quick tangent. I always said, so I had seen the King of comedy cause I heard that that was one of the, one of the, um, you know, the things that they picked from. And at the end of King of comedy, when that movie ends, I was there in a stunned silence. I was literally, I was yeah. like, what did I just watch? How is that so visceral? No one got hit. 
No one got, I mean, there was some violence in it, but no one got shot. There was no mass murders, any of that stuff. But at the end of it, I was, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt so just taken aback that my roommate had came in and I was just sitting in my room with the King of Comedy DVD menu up. And he's like, what's going on? So then I go see Joker and I didn't get that same visceral, like, oh, this is just really, really uncomfortable. You know, like some I of those did, scenes, I, I got you know? the uncomfortable sense with Joker. Yeah. And I think that was part of why, like, it, I equate Joker to uh, Requiem for a Dream. Okay. Where I will never, like, I will watch it once. I'll be like, oh, that was certainly a movie. And right. then I will never watch it again. Yeah, because you don't, when, when are you in the mood for that, right? When are you in the mood to watch, <laughs> you know, oh, people come on, we're always, you know, in the mood to watch a loner, you know, go on, pretend he's in a relationship with Zazie Beats. There, there you, you go. Know? Oh, oh, my God. You know what else? You know, if you've seen King of Comedy, they don't. They don't make it that obvious that what he's seeing is no. in his mind. And when they kind of handheld people in the Joker, I was like, you don't have to do that, man. Like, you have to, you know, have a little bit of confidence in your audience in that sense. You were wrong, Rupert, and we, or <laughs> we, you were right, Rupert, and we were wrong. Oh, I love yeah. that. It's amazing. But like I, like I was saying, you know, when I went in for Guardians, I went in blind. And it was around the time, this is the 10th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Where, first off, there's also another little tangent I'm going to go on. It's, have you ever noticed in a franchise, the 10th movie, they always go into outer space. Uh-oh. Uh <laughs> are you, are you predicting something for a fast, fast 10 or furious 10? <laughs> I would not be I would not put it past them to have them go into space because they've openly said, "Yeah, we do want to do a Fast and the Furious movie in outer space." Oh man! So they're going to end up, you know, uh, heisting uh, VCR DVD combo players <laughs> in outer space. I'm excited for that. It's going to be great. Oh dear! But um, with that, you know, I always laughed when I heard about that, and what it also got me thinking about was, what if this movie is going to suck? And right. For the last few years, like I want to say after Avengers, they were on such a solid streak. They were. And then, of course, Thor The Dark World came out, and that was very much a meh kind of movie. It's not the greatest, it's not the worst, but it's it's just there. And they were on such a very strong streak with, you know, maybe one or two hiccups, you know, Iron Man three, Iron Man two for the you know, for <laughs> right. a small part. Right. But off to a strong start. And when I saw this movie, I'm thinking to myself, they are really doing a big gamble with this because no one knows who these characters are. Yeah. And it, you know, it goes back to uh, my friend, a uh, friend of mine, John Gorga. He's the owner of Carmine street comics over in, uh, on Carmine street in Manhattan. Awesome. And he brought up the point of when he went uh, and he was pre-ordering stuff, he was talking to, you know, his former uh, co-owner of the store. He goes, this is going to either make or break them because they're having us pre-order things like rocket raccoon masks, root masks, <laughs> right, and right. things like this. The gamble, yeah. And it's a big gamble. And it's either this is going to be their biggest success with so little, or this is going to be the biggest example of egg on their face. And you fast forward all these years later. I have a friend who has a cat. Two cats, Rocket and Groot. <laughs> That's how it transcends into the pop culture subconscious. Yeah. Where these characters are now household names, yet you could not get rid of these books at one point in time. And now they're hot sellers. 
the merchandise is absolutely insane. I am Groot was the pop culture catchphrase <laughs> right. of yeah. 2014. Right, 100. percent And like and, you said, it, you were able to make these guys a a list in a in a sense. And Marvel, what frustrates what frustrates me about that is how again, it's a small tangent, how um, certain studios are not even able to capitalize with like the Justice League. Like those guys yeah. have so much more name notoriety than the Guardians, but if you don't put in the love and the care and do the homework, you can't just write a check. You know, you can't just say, "Oh yeah, just do that on the screen and it's gonna work." Because this could have failed, and had this failed, yeah, this was in the middle of of uh, Phase Two, so we were still getting ready for another Avengers film, and the Guardians really had nothing to do with that Avengers film. <laughs> so this was it's... really just a, like a, "Hey, you want to just." poke in on this little space opera for a second and take a, take a rest and, and check out these new characters. It's interesting that, you know, we'd mentioned phase two phase two is kind of bland for the most part, with the exception of winter soldier. Yeah. Guardians and Ant-Man. Yeah. It's yeah. a very like, again, they're good movies, but they're not great. Yeah. They were almost, and then you they go were almost and- keep, just keeping in line you know, with, with the waves that were going. Like, the first phase had to break a lot of ground. The second one kind of just continued things, kept us on a treadmill because we were going to Avengers, like you were saying. Um, and so it's not that shiny and sparkly phase two. And another thing about, you know, these movies in general or Guardians as a brand, it's funny that it does not translate over so well into the comic division because they're A-list characters on film. Yeah. But yet, Guardians is always a title that will be around for a little bit, get canceled, and then disappear for a number of months, and then come back again, new series. And it, it is the Marvel way of, hey, we're going to have a series, we're going to run for X amount of issues, do stealth miniseries, essentially. Right. And then cancel again. Yeah. And, like, right now, I'm a, I'm a big Moon Knight fan. Moon Knight is one of my, you know, signature characters that I'm a big fan of. Right. And Mooney has not had a run since the Max Bemis run back wow. in 20, I want, I think 17 or 18. Right. So he hasn't had a series in a number of years. Guardians was the same for a little while. Guardians technically had a series in the form of the Infinity Wars storyline that had happened by Jerry Dugan. And right. it, it's interesting that they can't keep a title. And right. <laughs> given, given how popular they are in, on film. And they are. And like right now, Al Ewing is currently doing the Guardians of the Galaxy, Al Ewing of Immortal Hulk fame, which great comic. If man. you're not reading that book, by the way, <laughs> I, I recommend amazing work. Yeah. Have you checked out Old Man Quill? Um, I so that's on my list of books. I've been I was pulling it when it was coming out and I wanted to wait for the whole series to end okay. then I would read it. And I just haven't gotten around to it. Okay. But I've heard nothing but good things, and it is considered one of the most underrated runs in recent memory. Ah. So to be, and it's the funniest thing is it's a comic written by a playwright. Oh wow! Who had no comic experience before? He just wanted to go off and do this. That's awesome. And it's not the first time either. You know that you bring a playwright into uh, the Marvel Comics universe because uh, the Fantastic Four Marvel Knights run was written by a playwright. And supposedly that, that again, it's really good. <laughs> that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with this movie and these characters, it is interesting to see how they've been able to skyrocket into this level of where they are. Because you 
you mentioned the whole aspect of comparing them to the Justice League, where Justice League, you can't even get, um, you know, the DCEU off to the right start. Right. And yet you have the Marvel characters. And I think it's, it's partially DC's fault on their end with how they manage these characters because we're going to do a pro wrestling equivalent. Right. And this is going to break Larry Morgan's heart, but (laughs) (laughs) it's the equivalent of pushing Roman Reigns. And I like Roman. Right. But when you push a character down people's throats, after a while, they are going to get sick of them. And as much goodwill as you will have towards these characters, you will get sick and tired of them. I'm a massive fan of Batman. I love Batman. Yeah. And yet I can't stand Batman at the same exact time. Right. And this is coming from a guy who used to do a Batman themed podcast. Wow. So take that for what you will. (laughs) Yeah. But when you have a character and you have a wide variety of characters and you push one over all of the others, it leaves a bad taste in the fans' mouths. It does. When it comes to my books I pull, I don't pull much. I pull some Batman titles. That's about it. Right. I don't pull Green Lantern by Grant Morrison because I don't care. That's a I lot. Don't it's, pull... a, it's a lot. Grant's, Grant's a lot sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's still, you know, when you have a brand and you want people to care about everything, but you only, you know, you push one over the other, it can be a bit of a, a like I said, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And the example I always go to is Telltale Games. Telltale Games got the rights to the DC characters. And what was the fir- the first and so far only character they've utilized? <laughs> Batman. <laughs> yeah. Batman. Now, flip side, Marvel licenses up with them because Telltale, you know, is the girl at the party with that, you know, wants to be with everybody. <laughs> right. And what ends up happening is they say to Marvel, hey, we want to do a game with you guys. And I imagine during the initial talks, they're going, okay, would you want to do, you know, maybe an Iron Man game or would you want to do a Captain America game? Marvel goes, no, we want to do the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Okay. Are are you sure about that? Maybe an Avengers game. (laughs) Right. No, we want to do this. Oh, so the game, you want to do a game with a talking raccoon and a talking tree. Yeah. Okay, fine. You do your thing. But they took the chance. And and that's, you know, what you were talking about before with the Roman thing. um, That's my issue with that for the most part. Uh, I feel that DC in many ways wants you to buy just on the strength of the name. Same way, like you were saying with Roman Reigns, it's like, why is Roman Reigns the best? Oh, because he's the best. That's what the answer yeah. that they give you. And you're like, wait, but he doesn't. I, I don't feel like he's the best. Oh no, no, trust me, he's the best. And that's what's going on with DC. It's like, oh, it's the Justice League. Oh, so what's the movie about? Oh, it's about the Justice League, right? But like, are they gonna come? It's the Justice League, bro. And it's like, that's not enough for me. You, I, I've, I've said constantly, and James Gunn did a tremendous job in this film doing this. Every time you watch a comic book film, it's the director's job to assume you know nothing. And it's their job to educate you the best that they can on the canon, hopefully, that they've pulled from comics. Sometimes they make up this stuff whole cloth, but they get to build their universe. The rules, what works, what doesn't, the attitudes of the people in it and stuff. And DC just seems to be mishandling all of that as they jump from what they think is popular and it, it, it's weird because had it been a popularity contest, Guardians may have never been made. Had it become, had it come to like, okay, what names do we have? What movies are we trying to make? Like, it's not like Spider-Man where I feel like those movies are going to make money regardless because it's Spider-Man. They can end up being bad. They're going right. to end up doing something. 
Guardians was a, a, a tremendous gamble. So you leave that theater in 2014, and what do you think of that film? I was blown away, to be honest. And it was one of those movies where so much about it took me off guard and, you know, caught me off guard, actually. That's the proper phrase. Right. And it made me want to consume more of the content involving the characters. As a result, I ended up tracking down stuff pertaining to Annihilation, read that, loved it, ended up reading the ongoing series by Sam Humphreys of Star-Lord, loved it. And a lot of people out there don't like one thing about the Guardians movie. In the comic, when I say I'm referring to the comic fans, right? they don't like the Guardians movie because it was such a tonal change from how they were in Annihilation. So well, that whole story being, is incredibly serious. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. It's is, is, is a, is a space war. It's an epic. Yeah. And what fans didn't like was, as a result, Brian Michael Mendes ended up changing how the Guardians were in the, the comics to right. more reflect how they were in the movie. So instead of seeing Star-Lord coming, you know, running around in the uh, blue uh, jumpsuit, right. you see him instead utilizing that burgundy color leather jacket, uh, duster, everything. Yeah. And trying to copy the tonal change of how the characters are. And when you're a fan of continuity, I understand that. And I've always found it funny. DC continuity fans are sticklers for how serious and how they they don't incorporate humor. Right. <laughs> yes. The same the same universe that has characters like Ambush Bug and Plastic Sugar Man. and Spike. <laughs> uh, Plastic Man, Shazam. Booster Gold, you know. Blue yeah. Beetle, yeah. yeah. Yep. And it's funny watching those the the same fans who like that also love stuff like Annihilation with the serious tone. And you know, I did a panel um a couple of years back with Aaron Cooter and Rocket Raccoon co-creator Keith Giffen. Okay. And Giffen was one of the heavy architects of the Annihilation story. And he's talking about uh, Marvel was upset with him because they said, congratulations, our book is doing well. And it's the best DC book out on the market right now. Oh, because of the tone? <laughs> yeah, because it, it felt wow. like if you read Annihilation, it feels like a DC story. And it really does. Yeah. It's so completely different than what was going on at the time at Marvel. Like that was around the time of Secret Invasion, yeah. uh Civil War. They were it was weird how they split stuff. that that entire um universe continuity uh, whatever you would like to call it in the sense that on Earth they just seem to not be able to get out of crossover events. And in space you have this huge epic going on. So you know like it wasn't there wasn't many cameos from earthbound heroes in Annihilation. You had to you were sold on this intergalactic version of Marvel, which this movie is the introduction to. And had like yes. like we were saying, again, had this failed, maybe people wouldn't have taken chances on other spacefaring heroes, etc. And this movie itself is, it introduces so many things that we don't even realize. James Gunn has gone on record saying there are Easter eggs in this movie that people have still not discovered. <laughs> yeah. And that blows my mind. Yeah. What a what and, a what a choice for director, right? Like, oh, he had only done what, like Slither, Super. He'd done a couple of things, but I don't know if he, I don't know, he, like he, what he showed to know to be able to do this. He did Tromeo and Juliet. He did <laughs> Scooby Doo one and two. Oh yes, and he did. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's one of those things where Marvel will pick the most random, 
bonkers style directors and they end up weaving gold with it. Yeah. And you look at the Russo brothers, the Russo brothers were responsible for episodes of arrested development and community. Yes. And then fast forward a few years later, they have the highest grossing movie <laughs> of all time. Yep. Like so it, it's such a, you don't know where these people are going to come from. And you would assume, oh, it's going to be this big budget action director. Nope. <laughs> it's no, not going to no. be that. No. And, and, and we saw it like, I love of the first Avengers for what it is. You know what I'm Like the idea that this is the first time these guys had all gone together. After watching things like the other Avengers, Guardians, etc., like that's a hard thing to do. It's hard to do a team a team movie. It's hard to get nail every um personality and make them all seem different but also likable. Um, you know, we, we saw what happened with Suicide Squad. You know, like think it it's 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 a hard thing to nail, but I think that's what makes this film so accessible. What do you think it is about this film that makes it so popular? The family dynamic and also the fact that this is Marvel's attempt at Star Wars. Yeah. And you have so when I say family, it's funny because you mentioned Avengers. I remember this movie so much more, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna um, throw a little thing out to the listeners. I have not seen this movie in a long time. I did not watch this movie in preparation. However, I memorized this movie beat for beat for right, beat, right. and it's astounding to me that how much of this I remember, how you know the lines, how they delivered, and everything. I remember so much about this that. I don't even need to watch it now right. for this kind of stuff. <laughs> right. And it's funny because it's, a you know, the whole family dynamic. It's something that the Avengers don't have. And also with the Avengers movie, the first one, other than maybe Loki punching or Loki getting the ever loving, but Jesus <laughs> beaten out of them. Right. Thor punching Loki or Th- Thor punching or Thor getting punched by Hulk and the, Avengers assemble scene, you know, where they do that circle uh, camera angle. Yeah. I don't remember much about that movie. (laughs) Guardians, on the other hand, is one of those. I remember every single thing. And it's, it's a movie that is very impactful with its shots, impactful with its writing and relationships of the characters. And the guardians in a way are the, are closer to the Fantastic Four than they are the Avengers. The Avengers, if you remember in Thor Ragnarok, Thor's line of, I know him, he's a friend from work. (laughs) Right. They don't have that family dynamic. They're not really that all tied together. Whereas the Guardians are characters who are abandoned. They don't have friends. They don't have family. All they are are people that know each other and as a result, they're their closest friends. They're their closest family. They're all outcasts because they have no one else to turn to. And yeah. that's what makes the Guardians of the Galaxy such a special team on the big screen. You're right. Maybe and not I so think... much in oh, oh, ahead, Maybe not so much in terms of the comics, but in terms of the on screen portrayal, that's how they all work together. And that's why fast forward over to um, Infinity War the relationship you end up seeing where star Lord gets jealous because of, you know, <laughs> right. how he's not just losing Gamora. He's losing everybody. The whole team. To Thor, yeah. The and whole he team. doesn't have anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So that 
very territorial aspect of the character. And it's also, you know, I'll go into it in a little bit, but the Star Wars dynamic. Right. Yeah. The space-faring opera. So. Um, I think also, well, you, and, you touched on it with the family thing, but I think another thing that makes this film incredibly accessible is that in many ways, even though it's a space epic and even though there's actual, you know, dog fights and with spaceships and, and, and glowing orbs, it's very personal. The movie is very yes. personal. Star-Lord has a very personal mission, you know, and a very personal uh, backstory with his mother. Uh, Gamora's uh, uh, whole situation with Nebula and Thanos, incredibly, incredibly personal. Drax, right? The whole killing of his entire family, and then he basically commits suicide by Ronin. <laughs> That's incredibly personal. And then the Groot and Rocket of it all. Like, none of it, like, I think Avengers may be too big idea, big picture, and I, maybe they don't get too personal, which is why Civil War is one of my favorite movies in the MCU because of how, again, personal it gets. And I think those are the movies that actually move me the most, the ones with more personal stakes than we got to not make this building blow up or something. Like, it, it, the heart of it all. And I think they knocked it out of the park with this. And, you know, going back over to the Star Wars element of this, obviously, you know, it takes place in space. That's the big connection with Star Wars. Ha, ha, ha. Right. But you look at the character dynamics. And one thing I noticed, they reflect on every single character, at least in one volume one and two, right? You have in, you have the Gamora character where she is the princess Leia type. She's the heroine who doesn't need saving because, Oh gosh, she can beat the shit out of you. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yep. You have the Chewbacca type in the form of Drax and Groot. And then you have also, the Han Solo type with a Star Lord or a Rocket Raccoon, where it's the smuggler who, you know, only cares about money, but also just, you know, the space pirate. They're doing it for, you know, financial checks and, and money. And yeah, yeah. Yep. And it made me think about it. The, the Guardians movies don't have a Luke Skywalker type. Although with Volume 3 coming along, you, of course, are introducing new characters in there. Right. I mean, you, one could argue that at one of the elements of Luke's uh, journey was explored in Guardians 2 with the idea that his father was someone he didn't know, finds out that his father's actually kind of a piece of trash. Maybe that's a, another connection to the Luke mythos of it all. But you're right. They Absolutely. don't really have a Luke. They don't really have like even Star-Lord's. I, I was, that's one of the things I was surprised about on rewatch. Almost up until the end, he's kind of ready to give up. <laughs> like, he, you know, like he's he not from the beginning is he like, I'm going to do the right thing. At various points, he's tempted by the idea that he should probably maybe just, you know, do something that serves him. And um, the same thing with Rocket and Groot. I maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but it wasn't until this rewatch that I noticed there's a lot of that Groot says something. And then like Han, how Han will say like. I know Chewie or, you know, like answering him back uh, without actually explaining what he was talking about. So there's definitely that Chewbacca stuff with uh, Rocket. And, you know, also it kind of like this series borrows so much from other forms of media, because when you look at a character like Star-Lord, he's a character that, you know, lived on Earth in the 80s. So he is the product of watching all these, you know, movies on TV, VHS, yeah. and he's you know, Star Wars exists in this universe. So he's watched Star Wars. He's, and he wants to be Han Solo. Yeah. 
So you have that. And it's also a movie itself that is watched by a, or that was made by a guy who grew up on this stuff and he wanted to do his own take. So you have elements of flash Gordon in there, right? You have elements of star Wars, of course, star Trek. You look at the character of Drax Mm -hmm. and Drax. I, you know, earlier said was he is a Chewbacca type, but he's also a, a Mr. Spock. Right. The very, you know, literal sense of what he's saying. And when the movie came out, people had discussed one thing about the character in that he might be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first, first portrayal of someone on the spectrum. Right. And Dave Batista and James Gunn, they both made the character the way that he was, but even they didn't realize, oh, you're right, he does seem to be that. So they they essentially went along with it, you know? Yeah. And they made this character that is a representation for people such as that. And again, the family dynamic of it all. We all are one. We are group. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So so poignantly put down. Um, I got some background info. So uh, writer Nicole uh, Perlman began working on the screenplay in 2009. Producer Kevin Feige first publicly mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy as a potential film in 2010. And Marvel Studios announced it was an active development at the July 2012 San Diego Comic-Con, which was roughly when you said you knew that it was uh, coming out. Um, Gunn was hired to write and direct the film that September and in in February 2013, Pratt was hired to play Peter Quill and Star-Lord. Guardians premiered at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood on July 21st, 2014 and was theatrically released in the United States on August 1st as part of Phase 2 of Marvel. The film became a critical and commercial success, grossing $772.8 million worldwide on a budget of $232 million, becoming the highest grossing film of a superhero film of 2014, as well as the third highest grossing film of 2014. The film was praised for its screenplay direction, acting humor, soundtrack, visual effects, and action sequences. Uh, and if you are ready, we can get right into the plot of this film. Well, I would like to talk real quick before we get into that about the production of the movie and some of the people that were supposed to be involved. Okay. Because a lot of people may not realize this. You know, when you make a movie, there are so many different people that audition for these roles. And as a result, you find out, so-and-so tried out for that part? Are you serious? (laughs) Right. For example, um, I believe Tom Cruise had originally tried out for the role of Iron Man and just so many other people, but a what if and there's footage of these actors reading their lines and you know in sample scenes and they'll never be released but i would love to see them as a you know this would have been the opportune time when the 10-year anniversary of the marvel cinematic universe happened two years ago when they did the uh, big box set releases right it would have been great to see the test footage and it didn't happen I think Joel McHale had said at one point that he tried out for Drax. Didn't get well, it. Well, <laughs> he did. That's an interesting one. <laughs> you know, because um, he had Batista on his podcast, and he was like, yeah, I kind of sort of tried out for Drax, one, too. <laughs> one person that had tried out for Drax was Jason Momoa. Wow. And another one was for the role of Star-Lord. You have two people. 
and they are uh, what's his name from Five Hundred Days of Summer. Um, he was in Don Juan. I got you. Or Don John, sorry, Don John. Oh, um, uh, Jason Gordon Levitt. Yes, he auditioned for the role. Ah, he's too. And small. another one. <laughs> he's a very that, spindly, spindly man. Well, one person that auditioned for the role of Star Lord also is one that got a lot of attention for it, and people were just like. I don't know how I would have felt because of how his role on another show was very slimy. Right. I don't know how it would have worked, but Glenn Howerton, Dennis, <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia audition for the role. Wow. And the implications of that. <laughs> just the implications. It, I just, I just I, wanted him to tell uh, Ronan that his rage is untethered and it knows no bounds. He's a five-star man and a golden god. That's it. And he has a lot of Thor. He picks up the hammer of Thor at one point, I think, or he mentions it. (laughs) So he might have some connections to the universe. There's so much that, you know, I would have loved to have seen that test footage. Yeah. If just, like, maybe when they start exploring the multiverse, like, we can see what the multiverse guardians would have been. You know, the ones that didn't actually end up being in the roles. That'd be extremely interesting. And, you know, with the Marvel What If series that is going to be coming to Disney+, Plus. um, Whenever it does. I was about to say, when is that thing coming out? <laughs> I feel like you can do a lot of that in, in quarantine. I feel like you can you can record and, and animate, etc. If I'm well, if I'm correct, it was supposed to be uh, 2021 or 2022. That makes sense. So okay. there again, the House of Mouse. They have a lot of stuff that's coming down the pike for this. And with that, the one that you know got me really interested is what if Black Panther T'Challa was Star Lord? Yeah, yeah. And seeing that footage, that, you know, it absolutely has me hyped. No, it looks really, really damn cool. I dig it. All right. So, I'm getting in my pilot seat. Uh, So, on planet Earth in 1988, young Peter Quill sits in the waiting room of a hospital listening to headphones to awesome mix tape number one on his Walkman. His grandpa comes in and gets him so he can say goodbye to his mom who is dying of cancer. His mom gives him a present and tells him his father was an angel and that Peter is just like him. She asks for his hand, but he's too scared to take it. Just then she dies. The distraught Peter runs outside and is abducted by a spaceship. So I think this is a great opening. Uh, I think the traumatic nature of events is a perfect setup for like the whole Peter, nothing bothers me, Quill attitude. Because you can see this was definitely a, a, a traumatic moment for him. Um Absolutely. Also, I'm not a, I'm not in love is a banger and probably one of the best like um, denials of of feelings for somebody. <laughs> I'm like, Absol- this guy's just the trying pairing, to convince himself. <laughs> yeah, the pairing of ten CCs, I'm not in love, is the ultimate start for how this movie feels, and it's again something different because a lot of the movies at the time, you know, you're this is a movie that's in the aftermath of the era of the barbecue rock or uh, yeah, yeah. Dad, or fart rock of uh, the 2000s. Right. You have movies like Punisher where there's that one song with uh, the Amy boy? from Evanescence oh, and yeah, Seether. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Broken. <laughs> broken. <laughs> they're like, they're like in a like junkyard and, walking around. <laughs> Oh, oh god yeah junk uh, is an apropos word for yeah, that makes sense makes sense but it's it's such a stark contrast from what we're used to and as a result 
the music of these movies, one and two, and even parts of when they show up in the Avengers movies, it's a completely different thing that gives it its own feel. The AM gold of you know the the movie. And by the way, one thing I always laugh when I see people make custom awesome mixes. Right. They always include music from 1980 onward. Which you they can. at least go to like 1985. Yeah. 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 James Gunn, when he was making the movies, specifically said the cutoff point is 1979. That's why you'll have stuff from the 60s like come a little bit closer on volume two. Yeah. And it goes all the way up to 1979. When, yeah, I believe James Gunn was also consulted on the Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout ride at Disneyland. Uh, and right. You have music like every time you go on the ride, it's different stuff. Hunka Hunka Burn in Love by Elvis <laughs> is a 1950s song. Okay. So that's, you know, the, as early as they can go with this. Right. And I'm thinking so if it says on Earth 1988, if you say give or take Peter's about seven or nine, he was around like that cutoff for the music is around when he's born. Yeah. So that would have been and- her passing down all the songs from her youth. And her, you know, her uh, wild 20s over to young Peter. And, you know, she's had a wild life on her own because, you know, she ended up meeting Captain America in the 1940s. <laughs> oh, wait, did. you know, that's retcon now. Did she kiss so, him? I believe she did. She has, but a, good, again, she know, has a good taste, you know. I think, I think she was an eternal as well because uh, <laughs> she never aged. <laughs> They're going to find a way to... to, to spin all that around but why do you think it is that young quill doesn't grab her hand in that moment honestly just that denial just denial that anything any of this is going to happen yeah and that's again one of the major factors of what he is as a character he's he sees the best in people he doesn't want the negative to happen so he runs away from it and that's Again, apropos with his decision to do what he does in that scene, which leads to him getting taken away by the Ravagers. Yes. And running away from your problems is incredibly Terran. So, I, you know, yeah. that, that lines up there. Um, 26 years later on the planet Morag, uh, adult Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt, is searching for a mysterious orb while listening to Awesome Mixtape Number 1. He finds the orb, takes it out of its laser enclosure... Almost immediately, Korath, played by Jimon Hansu, and his henchmen find Peter, even though Korath has no idea who he is, which is where you get that, who? I'm Star-Lord, man, uh, line. After a shootout, Peter makes it to his ship, the Milano, and escapes. So I have to ask, was it this scene that made you a Star-Lord fan? Seeing him out there singing and swinging? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the funniest part about that scene was... It wasn't the usage of 10 cc's I'm not in love that made me realize I was watching something different and something special. It was the moment you see him dancing on screen, you pan back, and you see just this tiny little Star-Lord in the corner doing his dance (laughs) as the name of the movie in gigantic block letters and uh, Come and Get Your Love by Redbone plays in the background. That was the moment I knew, oh my gosh, I'm watching something different than anything that, you know... I've been accustomed to because it was also in that moment I realized, yeah, I like all the characters in the MCU, but these are the ones I gravitate towards because they're the outcasts. They're the different ones. Yeah. You have the Avengers, you have Spider-Man, you have the X-Men, but this was the moment I realized these are the characters for me. 
you know, just having this conversation, and I love that you love this movie so much because I'm literally kind of learning it and, and forming concepts as we talk. Is it me? I think I'm not in love literally starts off with a heartbeat. Yeah. So, like, what a way to start your film. It literally, you know, like, it's literally starting. You're literally hearing the lifeblood of this film start. Amazing, amazing stuff. What are your thoughts? I, I absolutely love the design of the helmet, but are do you sit either way with the comic version versus the movie version? Well, I have Star-Lord's helmet tattooed on my uh, left <laughs> arm, so I'm going to kind of go with the movie version. I, I like the... Uh, right, right. I like the version in the comics, but it's more like he's wearing like a little tin hat on his head and yeah. like old civil it, war. Kind of like <laughs> those. Yeah, old... It's, it's, it's cool to look at, but the movie version, there's just something about it that I, I always joke in, you know, uh, Raz steampunk, but it does have very much a steampunk feel to it. Yeah. And you know, there's just something about that look to it, especially it's got that ominous feel to it with the glowing red eyes. So cool. Cutting through the darkness, just those big, two, those two big glowing eyes. Really cool. It's, it's, it's spooky. But yeah. yet on the flip side, when you realize who it is, oh, okay, this is, this is a friend. This is an ally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's where, like, the playful nature of the hair up top kind of comes in. You know, because they didn't have to do yes. that. It could have just been a, a full helmet. But he has, he allows his hair to come out through the top, which means, you know, he's ready for a little you gotta bit of party. you got to have breathe. Yes, yes. So James Gunn stated that Chris Pratt's audition was so good, he was prepared to offer him the role, even if Pratt, did, even if Pratt didn't lose weight or get in shape in time. Uh, but Gunn joked that he was willing to CGI a six-pack on Pratt if push came to shove. But uh, he gave him six months to do so, and Pratt managed to lose... 60 pounds that's a lot of damn weight yeah um you've gone through your own journey of losing weight could you lose 60 pounds how would i like to lose even... a little bit more because <laughs> quarantine is definitely uh the lack of gyms that's all i'm gonna say yes yes um, I, have, I have quarantine love handles as well it's happening it's a thing yeah it's a thing but it, it's definitely doable you know you just have to have the uh level of determination and like that's part of why i have the star lord tattoo is because I, at one point, you know, I was losing weight with keto, doing my own thing. And then, you know, I wanted to do a cosplay. And it's kind of, when you're a big guy, it's kind of hard to do cosplay. <laughs> yes, because it is. <laughs> your only options are, you know, Kingpin or Bowser or <laughs> King right. Hippo from Punch-Out. Yeah. You know? So there's that. But I remember a friend had said, you should do Star-Lord. You would totally rock Star-Lord. I'm like, I'll think about it. And then you, like... Part of the impact of why I like the character so much is also the look to him, where you have that Michael Jackson style thriller jacket. <laughs> right. You have the the use of the color burgundy. It's just it's such a cool look to it. Yeah, you got like the sidewinder, the Han Solo little, you know, uh, side piece. Ab- absolutely. Really dig it. Did you know early drafts of this film featured Nova, but supposedly James Gunn doesn't like Nova, <laughs> so he took he took him out. Before before he got onto the film, Nova was in early drafts of this film, which makes sense because there's so much time spent on Xandar with the Nova Corps. Uh, how do you feel about Nova's removal from this film to focus more on Star-Lord? Dropping Nova is a smart decision because there's just, there is already so much that you end up... like If you put more on this movie, 
that's going to hinder it and it's going to make it go a little bit slower. You know, you want to, yeah. you want to have it hit full throttle as soon as possible and any extra weight on the film will cause it to drag a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I feel having Nova would have hindered it, but when you eventually bring back Nova in, you know, down the line in a future film, then that that'll work. You know, it, it it's hard to describe, but yeah, I mean, they kind of set a lot of wasn't needed. Yeah, they they set that kind of up, right? Xandar is seemingly destroyed. <laughs> uh, Thanos went over there and took the power stone from it. But if there's one Nova Corps member left, we have our Nova. You know, all they have to do is get that guy into the yeah, next film. Yeah, and honestly, these movies are all about the callback. Yes. Plain and simple. You know, you look at, like, Endgame. I never thought Thor The Dark World would get a callback, but it did. <laughs> right. It absolutely did. And then you go over to Captain Marvel, and Korath shows up again. Yes, he does. And it's really, really funny that the actor who plays him shows up in Captain Marvel and he shows up in Shazam. So he showed up in two Captain Marvel movies in one year. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think he was an Aquaman. I'd say in the span of a month. I think he was an Aquaman. I think he's one of those CGI fish people. So he's just making his money. I, I, I'm with it. Do what you got to do, bro. <laughs> yeah. Especially since we know Absolutely. his fate. We know his fate in this film is not great. <laughs> so that's, that's also there too. Uh, while on the Milano, Peter's yeah. partner slash mentor Yandu, played by the incomparable Michael Rooker, calls and tells Peter to give him the orb. Peter decides he's going to sell it on his own, showing us the deceitful nature between Quill and Yandu's ravagers. Uh, on the Kree warship, the Dark Aster, Korath reports to Ronan the Accuser, played by Lee Pace, that he failed in getting the orb and that it's in the hands of Peter. Ronan wants the orb because he can trade it to Thanos in exchange for Thanos destroying Xandar. Ronan plans to send Nebula, Karen Gillian, uh, or Gillen after Peter, but Gamora, Zoe Saldana, volunteers. Over Nebula's complaints, Ronan sends Gamora. So this is our introduction to the Thoughters of Thanos, who become extremely integral to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right here, they're just kind of siblings in a rivalry. But what do you think and what do you think of the characters of Nebula and Gamora? They're absolutely great characters that are important to what this movie is. And, you know, you have the uh, contrast and like eventually, you know, when you look at volume two coming up, it is very much the example of family is important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the character of Gamora is such a strong character that I'm excited to see where we go with her character. Now that, you know, we have the time displaced Gamora and then the other Gamora, you know, that was with star Lord. They, you know, right. What's going to happen now? Yeah. They seemingly you know? have a whole new path to pay. So it's, I, I'm absolutely for this and I'm excited to see what we can do with this. With the character of Nebula, again, just she's the Gamora that was unloved. Yeah, and it's it's very much again sibling rivalry, sibling rivalry, rivalry at its strongest. And there's again just so much 
that you can do with this. I think um, Karen Gillan does a great job emoting with just her eyes sometimes. Like, you can feel animosity <laughs> when she's just, like, not in a great mood. You can really feel that emanating from Nebula. Uh, and even the way that she chooses to deliver some lines. Like, in this scene here, um, they go to send, like, Gamora's like, I'll go. And then she goes, like, I'm the daughter of Thanos, just as you. You know, like, like, like we're of the same ilk. Uh, you can feel automatically from the beginning that there's a little bit of a of a superiority inferiority kind of situation going on there. Um, Absolutely. So on the planet Xandar, Peter takes the orb to a broker, makes fun of his uh, eyebrows, <laughs> and asks what it is because Ronan's goons are after it too. On hearing Ronan's name, the broker suddenly doesn't want anything to do with the orb. He kicks Peter out of his shop. Outside. Gamora jumps Peter and tries to retrieve the orb herself. Nearby, Rocket Raccoon, voiced by Bradley Cooper, and Groot, voiced by Ben Diesel, see there's a bounty on Peter's head, so they try to capture him. Stanley also has a cameo there, too. Uh, madness ensues as everyone tries to apprehend Quill and the orb, and it's not too long before Peter, Gamora, Rocket, and Groot are arrested by the Nova Corps and sent to space prison called the Killen. Killen. So... In this scene, is it's it's the revelation that Zoe Saldana is the first green woman I ever had a crush on. Like she's sitting there, I don't even know what she's eating. She's <laughs> eating like a candy bar or something. Like when Quill comes out of that that brokers meeting, she's just laid up, you know, chilling, eating that thing, flirting around with Star Lord. And I'm like, this woman, even with all the that paint, is um, uh, gorgeous and does a great job with all the emoting and the fighting and all that stuff. Um. Props to her. She's great green. She's great blue. We've seen both of these things happen. Uh, she just does good in color. Um, I think that Rocket's attitude and banter with Groot are really fun and a really fun introduction to that character. Um, and as we know, Rocket was modeled on a raccoon named Oreo who was living in the UK who passed away not too long ago. And um, according to Vin Diesel, who's the voice of Groot, he recorded Groot's iconic line, I am Groot, over 1,000 times. <laughs> What do you think about this introduction of Rocket and Groot? And he also, I believe, recorded with uh, Vin Diesel's line read over and over. I believe he also did it in other languages. Wow. That's amazing. So he he really went all out with this. And with the introduction, I love it. It's, again, it's a perfect example of how their characters are. And it also gets me to realize, you listen to Bradley Cooper, how he you know, really talks. Yeah. And then you hear the rocket raccoon voice. I still am always in disbelief that <laughs> that's him. That's Bradley Cooper. A hundred percent. Because I don't hear Bradley Cooper in that. I was really trying to picture him as I rewatched this. And it is really, really hard. Um, I, I think another thing with, with uh, the portrayal of Groot, one of the first things that Groot does is he tries to drink from the water fountain that's there. And Rocket's like, don't you, you don't drink from that. And it's, it's already a establishment that in that relationship, Rocket is the voice of reason. Like he's the, he's the parent. Yeah. Even though Groot is like eight feet tall, um, which I thought was pretty funny. And even like, oh no, don't grab her, grab him. Like all of that kind of stuff. It really shows you that odd couple nature that those two have. Uh, so. And it's always funny that, you know, oh, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Oh, with, uh. The Stan Lee cameo, Stan shows up in this. And I remember initially when this movie was getting ready to come out, Stan said, 
I'm not sure if I'm going to even have a cameo in this because I never made any of the characters in this movie. Oh, and then wow. people pointed out, people pointed out to Stan, actually, yeah, you did. You created Groot. Oh, that's with, true. With uh, Jack Kirby. Yeah, and Groot's coming on his sixtieth anniversary this year. Sixty years of that tree. Uh, no. Uh, I thought he's next year. Is he next year? Is he? Uh, he's sixty-one. He, I thought he was sixty-one. Let me see. But continue. let's go to the let's go to Captain Google. Captain Google, what do you have to say about this? Captain Google says, created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. It. I have November nineteen sixty. Tales to Astonish oh, number okay. thirteen. So is, wow! Wow! Sixty years of Groot. It's an old man now. Social Security. Well, not just that, but we have, you know <laughs> we have sixty years of Groot. Groot predates the Marvel universe in the comics because if you remember, Groot predated nineteen sixty one's Fantastic Four. Wow! <laughs> Even though he was a villain, but yeah, he he's, so, he's before all of that. That's absolutely. crazy. Wow. Yeah, you got to give more respect to my tree, man. Yeah. The first appearance. Yes, he was. <laughs> a lot scarier. I, I was going to say a lot scarier, even though some of the depictions of him with like eyes and stuff is pretty creepy. Like some of those <laughs> some of those other depictions of Groot. Absolutely. Very, very creepy. Spindly little man. Um, we get to the kill, killing, killing? Um, and pretty much everyone in the prison wants to kill Gamora because she's the daughter of Thanos. Uh, Drax the Destroyer has a vendetta against her because Ronan killed his wife and daughter. Drax, obviously played by Dave Batista. Uh, he wants to avenge them by taking the life of one of Ronan's family members in return. Gamora explains that she's not related to Ronan and she was planning on double-crossing him. Peter argues in Gamora's favor. So, this is the introduction to Drax's dry humor. And kind of my introduction to Batista as an actor. I mean, I watched wrestling, but I think there's the humongous difference between the two. Um, at, when Batista found out he got the role of Drax, uh, and he said this also on the, that community podcast I was listening to, he broke down and cried. Um, he was, he was literally going broke. He tried his best to make it post wrestling in the acting world and knew that he was going to have his detractors. So he just kept working at it and was literally, you know, on his last legs when he got this role, which is amazing because you could imagine how much money (laughs) this this role and subsequent roles have given him. Um, he prepared the role for, I'm oh, sorry, he prepared for the role with an acting coach. Um, and in the comics, as you know, Drax is green, but they changed it to a muddier gray because A, Gamora's already there and she's already green. And B, they wanted to distinguish him from the Hulk. What do you think of Drax's new design and what do you think Batista brings to that character? Well, Big Dave getting the role of uh, Drax is one of my favorite casting choices in the entire MCU because he is an example of someone trying to prove himself to his detractors. And it's great because as a result, he's gotten more roles. He did, uh, I believe, the My Spy movie. He did Stuber with, you know, a fellow uh, now MCU actor. And I love that he's doing so well in these roles and the change of the character. I enjoy it. I thought, you know, it's, it's a much better look than, you know, you still borrow the elements of the Drax, the destroyer, 2005 Keith, Keith Giffen miniseries, 
but you end up adding in new little things like you know the skulls all over his body the tattoos yeah the different look and it's a vast improvement on what it initially was <laughs> yeah that first and look does not translate <laughs> again you know it's it's very just bland he he looks like a green guy with wolverine's tiger stripes that's about <laughs> right. it yeah but you go from there you improve you do your own thing and again that's what this the marvel universe the marvel cinematic universe is they change up the what you know of these characters improve on them make them a little bit different than the average interpretation because you know i always find it funny you see mezco releases these action figures of the characters, they're the 12-1 figures, whatever. Right. And they have, like, a comic book look to them, where they're wearing, like, the spandex-ish looking outfits. But when you see that translated to in-person 3D-ish, it doesn't look as believable as the characters, how they are on screen. You know, you look at Captain America with his battle armor. Yeah. And that's what it would really look like. Deadpool, as well, in the, in the Fox movies, has that body armor, like Teflon, bulletproof, you know, yeah. uh, Kevlar look to him. Right. And it works. Whereas, you know, the spandex, eh, not so much. Right. But when you take these characters, change them up, their interpretations add like a, a bit more quote unquote realistic sense to it. It's better. It just is so much better. Yeah. One of the things and again, that I always found weird. Another thing about was, um, when they would do tights, you would see like the muscle fibers. I'm like, how tight are those tights? <laughs> and like you see the comic book, anyone wearing yeah. tights in comics, you see like the muscle fibers, the individual ribs, all those things. I'm like, that's not how it would look in real life. You can't do that in real life. There's no material that tight that's going to show individual veins and all that stuff in your legs. It's crazy. And another thing about this scene, the kiln scene is look how far we've gotten already in the movie. This movie has a very fast pace to it yeah. that you don't see in a lot of other movies. Like we're already off the races. We've introduced most of the characters. And if I'm correct, we're at the halfway point of the movie already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember this scene is and, the scene where you get that moment where, um, you know, they like kind of disinfect, uh, Star Lord, and he turns around, and we see Andy Dwyer for the first time with abs, with muscles, <laughs> and he's just yeah. standing there huffing and puffing in anger. That was like a key moment in the trailer, and I every time I watch it, I'm just like, look at look at Chris Pratt right there, like that. That's a very much like those are the fruits of his labor <laughs> when you see that scene, and he turns around. Uh, yeah, you see you see the hero. Like I I've always saw him as the lovable klutz, and now in that moment, I was like, oh damn, he's he's ready for this. It's good stuff. And the thing about this that also gets me is it it's it reminds me of the original Star Wars in the sense of you're not looking at your watch going, is it over? Is it over? Yeah, it has such a fast pace to it where you can also pick it up at any moment. You can, like, you know, this is one of those movies you flip through, you know, the channels. You see it's playing on FX. Oh, like, got half an hour left of the movie. Eh, I'll watch it anyway. And you still know what's going on. You yeah. still <laughs> have a good gist of everything going on that it can be picked up at any time. Right. Whereas certain movies, you don't have that ability. Or you get in and you're like, ugh, I don't want to 
I don't want to watch this scene. I want to just get to the end. Where with Guardians, you're almost always five minutes away from a gut-busting, hilarious moment or a really awesome, you know, shot or a really cool callback. Like, literally, like you said, you can start the movie at any point and you'll hit one of your favorite parts in about ten minutes. Like, that's just how that film works. It's just so much. It's chock full of so many great moments. Um, So... And you got to also factor that in with the music. Yes, that helps with the pacing. That definitely helps with the pacing because it, it even when it lulls, there's something to pick you up and pick up the uh, the heartbeat a bit. So, um, meanwhile, right. at Sanctuary, Ronan reports to Thanos, played by Josh Brolin. Thanos has eyebrows in this scene. I did not notice that before. He no longer has eyebrows. So maybe he was going through some things. Um, he got him waxed. That's what happens. Well, he was like, I'm, if I'm going to go down to earth, you know, I have to make sure I have all this. All this looks good. All this, all this armor is too, it weighs down on me too much. I'm going to put on my wife beater, my space wife beater, and shave my eyebrows and give him one four. But that's how Thanos finds out that Gamora is a traitor. He likes threading. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thanos tells uh, Ronin to take care of her and get the orb. He also notes that Gamora is his favorite daughter right in front of Nebula, <laughs> uh, which, you know, he's he's up there in the Hall of Dads with Odin and Ego, who are just just pieces of work, you know, uh, b- back at the space prison. Gamora has a plan to sell the orb to someone else and escape her father's clutches. Peter, Rocket and Groot agree to help and split the reward. Rocket has a plan to escape the prison. He needs a guard's wrist device, a prisoner's prosthetic leg, and a battery from a tall column in the prison. As he explains this, no, as he explains, this is a very funny part. He explains that it's very important that they take out the battery last. While he's doing this, Groot goes and grabs it as the first thing <laughs> that he does, which sets off the alarms and every like chaos ensues. You know, they grab everything they have to grab. Um, they, they're able to save... Drax saves Gamora's life so that he can make sure that he kills her. Uh, uh, they all get the items and they're able to make this uh, really, really cool escape. Peter leaves the others, though, telling Rocket he has something that he left behind. And it turns out he has to go get his Walkman and the awesome make uh, awesome mixtape from one of the guards. Elsewhere, Yandu goes... And to who the- plays the guard? I do not know. Who plays that guard? The man who plays Darth Vader, circa Rogue One, and any other future Star Wars related product. That's awesome. I know that the person that accosts Quill in the beginning of, of the prison scene is Nathan Fillion. Yes. The one that gets the fingers up the nose. <laughs> uh, he gets Nathan Fillion. But There's the guy a... who has the Walkman is I, I uh, Darth not... Vader now. I did not know that. Also, this is probably the time to say there's a lot of cursing in this film. Probably more yep. than than a normal uh, Marvel film, which I thought was a bit off, but I, I think it works. I think I don't think that they, you know, hit the beat button it, too, too often. Well, when it comes to language, one of the things that I really was like apprehensive towards was if you remember in the trailer the one line from Peter Serafinowicz when he's talking with uh, John C. Riley. Yes. <laughs> What a bunch of a-holes. Right. I was hoping that that line would retain it as what a bunch of a-holes instead of extend, you know, accentuating it and making it assholes. Because right. a-holes, 
depending on what it can be, can be so much funnier than actually saying the swear word. And that's why, by the way, this is a little tangent. I love listening to people go on saying you can't do Deadpool as PG-13. Ah, come on. I call call BS on that. Right. BS is funnier to say than bullshit. It is. But (laughs) it is. (laughs) I think it's funny because you end up, yes, you can have Deadpool say the F word. You can have Deadpool, you know, go over the top of his violence. But when you end up having the parameter of, oh, you can't say that, you can't say this, now he has to be much more creative in terms of his humor, utilizing that stuff and being also, because Deadpool breaks the fourth wall, self-aware. Oh, I can't say this because I'm in a Disney movie now. Right, he can just peep himself. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why when they did Once Upon a Deadpool, uh, did you see that at all? I, I was not able to see that. Was it worth it? I, so it's the same movie interspliced with uh, parody scenes of the Princess Bride. Hilarious. <laughs> with, you know, him taking Savage, tying him up in a bed. And there's a part where Deadpool has a little button where it bleeps everything. Okay. So you have him talking to Fred. I think it's Fred Savage, the one that was not on Boy Meets World. Right. Um, but you have him saying, and then I bleeped him. And then I bleep, And he just keeps going <laughs> on saying something about how he wants to fight Matt Damon. But instead he goes, I want to blank Matt Damon. Right. And then over and over and over, they keep doing that line. And then, you know, you end up hearing Fred Savage go, wait a minute, are you bleeping me when I'm saying fight? Yeah. yeah. Not... And it <laughs> just a, keeps going. And that's it, a hilarious, uh, yeah, it's a hilarious shooter drop. No, that was pretty, yeah, that's funny. But that way of, you know, working around that PG-13 rating, you can do it as that. That's why when I hear people say, oh, no, he can't say the F word. Go watch the Big Lebowski. Then they say that word over hundred and eighty times. Yes. <laughs> also, Deadpool, for the most part, unless uh, things have changed, is not an R-rated comic. He's never been. <laughs> so, so the- he doesn't curse in the comics either. I mean, he might get the little, you know, the asterisk and the number sign and all that kind of stuff on occasion. But for the most part, all his jokes there there might be a little adult and funny, but they're not crass. The I the I am a joke to you or am I a joke to you meme? I always go with as well with Deadpool. Sir, like you can't do PG thirteen Deadpool, and you put over that Marvel Ultimate Alliance one and two. Am I a joke to you? Right. <laughs> yeah, he's right there. He's fine. Yes. So let's see. So, but our Guardians have escaped. Oh no, they haven't escaped yet. Oh yeah, they have escaped. Uh, they will eventually. They grab. Yeah, he grab. Um, with the Guardians' first mission. Um, we have everyone on Peter's ship and they're getting to know each other and surprise, surprise, they don't like each other at all. Soon they arrive at Nowhere, a space station built around a several, several, eh, severed head of a celestial. First time we get that um, species named in the Marvel. And they go to meet with the Collector who is set to buy the orb for a lot of credits. While they wait for their appointment, Drax, Rocket, and Groot get drunk and gamble. Peter and Gamora bond over music as he explains that his mom made him the mixtape of her favorite songs. She listens and likes it, so he asks her to dance, but she doesn't trust him. He says it reminds him of an old fable about other people who didn't dance, and it's called Footloose. (laughs) He makes a pass at her, but she says she's not one of those doe-eyed girls that he's used to, and she won't fall for his pelvic sorcery. So I guess when it comes down to all this, the question I have is, do you consider yourself a pelvic sorcerer, Peter? God, no, I'm terrible. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The pelvic sorcerer supreme. (laughs) 
Well, when I do, uh, when I've done my Star Lord cosplay conventions, I always forget. Oh yeah, I'm expected to dance. And there's a video someone recorded of me. I don't know who they are. They were like just a random person at the con at New York Comic Con uh, 2017. Yeah. And they look at me and they go dance, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> it's like the and monkey with the symbols dance. dance. Oh, oh, it's like the look <sighs> in my eyes is like, kill me now. I really don't want to be doing this. And although it did lead to my favorite moment at a con, um, there was a person like I guess one of these uh, vendors. They had this gigantic Spider-Man display of like this uh, robot toy, and okay. like they were projecting a voice out of it. And I don't know who it was, but they sounded eerily like Tom Holland. <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> and you hear this thing coming out of it. And as I'm walking by in my Star Lord costume, uh-huh. I just hear him going, the person coming from this uh, Spider-Man thing, come and get your love. And I'm doing a little <laughs> dance. Like as I'm doing, I'm like, this person I will do the dance for. Cause I don't, you know, right. Just quick one, two, three. Dun, 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 dun. Right. It's, but, it's it's such a good experience when I do my, every time I do my cap cosplay, little kids are saluting me. Their eyes light up. It's such a cool that's the one thing I miss. Like, I know that they're really trying their best to give us this whole Comic-Con at home experience. But this week was just depressing when it came to, like, me missing being in that group of people. Uh, All I, I will just say this, and I will always say this. And I have friends that run conventions, and they've been offered this. They will pass on it because they feel the exact same way I do. Virtual Comic-Cons are the corniest thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Oh boy, the con yeah. at home. You get to watch a Zoom meeting panel. Yeah, which is what we do anyway for the most part. Like we do this yeah, all year much. round. All year round, people sit at home and watch trailers and watch interviews and all this stuff. This is the first time they get to be immersed in it and we can't because of everything that's going on. So I'm hoping that that changes soon. And uh, at, you know, as of this recording, we have not heard word yet. But do you think New York Comic Con is happening? Because there is a snowball's chance. Of <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's happening. But what's also very weird is people's um, hesitance to cancel things. Like it's it's very close. You can. I, it, do you think it's going to happen, in New York? Because I don't. Why don't you just say it and start planning for the eventuality instead of waiting to the last minute and then trying to put something together? Seems well, weird. I was gonna. This part I was going to preface with, edit out, but then I realized, well, I just publicly tweeted about it yesterday, so (laughs) I I can say it. But basically, my opinion is, Reed Pop are currently waiting for word for Papa Cuomo to officially say you can't hold this event. Because if they cancel outright on their own without word from the state or Papa Cuomo, they lose that insurance money. Right. Yes. They are waiting to claim insurance, which is the absolute smartest thing Reed Pop could do at this point. This is wasn't this they, also the WrestleMania conversation? Like they would not cancel out and out cancel WrestleMania until Florida said they couldn't do it and then it becomes, you know, okay, well then you're going to have to give me that money then because we were all yeah, ready to do it <laughs> until you said it's, no. <laughs> it's an issue of insurance. That's all they're doing and it makes perfect sense from a business standpoint because if you out and cancel, you lose oh so much money. You lose that deposit. You lose this. You lose that. Yeah, there it's a big financial windfall for them. And like, uh, you know, my friend uh, Cliff Galbraith, who runs East Coast Comic Con, Comic Con in lovely Sea Caucus, New Jersey, at the Meadowlands Expo Center, 
he canceled not just East Coast Comic Con 2020, which broke my heart because I had a lot of stuff planned for that show. Right. But he also canceled East Coast Comic Con 2021. Wow. So, and people were like, oh, that's a stupid decision. No, it's not. Because, well, as of this moment, we don't know if there's a vaccine or not or how long it's going to take because it takes about roughly 18 to 24 months. Right. And you wouldn't want to rush so, anything like that either. We got to do trial upon trial upon trial, you know, all different blood types, all different, you know, people in general. Like, you wouldn't want to rush that anyway. And I think that's part of the uh, problem here is that a lot of people are trying to rush the process. And I, I'll take a knee this year. You know, I'll take a knee for the good of mankind, for the good of all Cree. I'll take a knee this year uh, as far as the cons are concerned. But hopefully they come back in a big way next year. I'm, I'm, I know they I'm have missing. been doing some cons like Days of the Dead, you know, the dorky horror convention. Right. Um, I'm never going to go to their show, so I don't care. <laughs> um, and just like all these other ones, they are doing shows. Right. But you wear a mask. And I'm sorry. The point of going to a convention is to be in a thing for X amount of hours. Yeah. I can wear a mask in public. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But when you're wearing it for longer and longer periods of time, your face is going to start sweating. You're going to have this, you're going to have that problem. Yeah. I've been contemplating going down to New York city to sell comics over to book off. Oh, wow. However, for me, I have to take a two and a half hour train ride to the city. I have to walk around wearing a mask in the city during the summertime. heat. Yes. And then I have to go home two and a half hours again. So I'm spending roughly five hours in a train wearing a mask walking throughout the day for maybe five to six hours wearing a mask. Yeah. I'm not risking that. Another big part for me was always the photo ops. And those are kind of ruined now, yeah. right? <laughs> and people are doing them still. <laughs> With They're the masks? still doing them. Yeah. Uh, I saw Austin St. John, the Red Power Ranger, whatever his name is. Right, I, right, I hope right. I got it. Yes, right. yes. That is. It's He's exactly doing right. photo ops wearing the mask. And I'm just like. That's a lot. This is. Dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. You can't even tell who it is. <laughs> you could just be like, I mean, you can tell. Hey. You can tell by the eyes, but that's about it. Right. The eyes never lie. That's what they say. Exactly. They say the eyes never lie. <laughs> so, um, before we can meet with the collector, Drax, Rocket, and Groot, all drunk, get into a big fight. Drax thinks Groot is dumb, and Rocket is tired of people quoting him rodent. Peter talks them out of fighting, um, and then the collector's assistant fetches them so they can all go meet with him. Drax goes off on his own to make a call. So I wanted to note that this was the first time I feel like we saw Rocket being vulnerable. What do you think is going on in that trash panda's head? That he's, oh, he's got he's insecurities. So... Yeah. Everything about him. And it's, again, the complexities of these characters that you want to have. You want to have, you can't have a perfect character. Yeah. And again, that's why I've always found it funny People will complain about the character progression of Peter Parker in the MCU, calling him Iron Man Jr. Right. And it drives me nuts because I actually just referenced, I talked about it in the uh, Kinoplex on Facebook. Right. Uh, one of my favorite movie shitposting groups. And, you know, we're talking in there about it. And I called people idiots for calling him that because it's almost like we have multiple movies to tell this character's story arc. Right. Rocket Raccoon is not going to be perfect right off the bat, or he's not, or right off the raccoon. And <laughs> right. you're not going to have him perfect in the initial way. You're going to have all these flaws and insecurities. And James Gunn has revealed we're going to know how Rocket became what he is in Volume 3. We're going to see that origin involving the surgery, taking a regular 
Terran Raccoon and making him into what he is. Right. And I love that the character is flawed to the degree he is because he's overconfident. He's, as he is called in Volume 2, he's an asshole. Yeah. And he knows he it. He absolutely is. And he knows it and he does it to keep people, you know, at certain arm's length away from him. They do that. It's moment. a self defense mechanism. Yeah, they do that moment in the in the Clin killing. Um where the same thing that I was talking about before where you have that hero shot of Star Lord, you see that moment where Peter Quill's just staring at the at the holes in his back, at the weird mechanisms that are from his surgery. And it's a it's a kind of a quiet moment where we're we're allowed to just look at like what happened like what is his background what happened to this man and again watching a rodent <laughs> seemingly shed tears because he he thinks everyone hates him like that was that was like touching that was like uh, heartbreaking even I think they really did a really good job with that. What I enjoy about modern movies nowadays is you can get that emotional feeling from a bunch of ones and zeros flashing on your screen. Yeah. Yeah. But it takes, it and takes a pelvic sorcerer, if you will, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that knows, that knows what heartstrings to pull. Because again, I, I remember I saw dark Phoenix and I felt there were certain moments they were trying to pull heartstrings. And I'm like, that's not, you're just doing operatic stuff. Like, Oh, this plus yeah. this should equal this. It should just be a, a, mo- a good moment because we added this and this, this was carefully, played at every moment rockin's playing everybody he's joking on everybody he's uh sarcastic and he's like you said he's an asshole and then you come to here and somebody calls him a rodent and that's the that's the last straw like all of a sudden he's so thin-skinned that you know it, it really hit him at his core like what what is going on in that mind of yours which i think is a, a, a interesting way to portray that character it, it allows for mystery i feel like a, a weaker franchise would have answered all those questions you can tell a lot about the character's backstory by just seeing him hunched over, in pain, and then you just look at his back with everything in there. Yeah. You can tell oh so much in just one visual shot. You tell a thousand stories with one glance. Yeah. He's defeated. He looks defeated. Uh, and that's the world building. Yeah. We are introduced to Benicio del Toro as the collector who has a giant assortment of collectibles, including many from the Marvel Universe and even Cosmo, the Soviet space dog. The collector puts the orb in some kind of machine, which unscrews the two halves and reveals that there's an Infinity Stone inside. Collector explains that the Infinity Stone is an all-powerful thing. There are more of them and they can destroy planets. The collector's assistant suddenly grabs the stone and she and everything in the area blow up. Most of the people survive, along with Cosmo, the Soviet space dog. <laughs> um, realizing that they are holding a weapon of mass proportions, Peter and the others manage to escape with the orb holding the Infinity Stone. They decide the safest place to take the stone is Nova headquarters because it's too dangerous to take it anywhere else. Even though Star-Lord was still going to try to sell it <laughs> because he was like, uh, yeah, let's get rid of this thing. Um Working for the collector can't be fun if you're willing to just randomly grab a Infinity Stone, huh? Pretty much. It's it's again. I love that they tell these stories about the uh, these characters, and it, it's funny when you realize that the collector is the brother of the Grand Master from Thor Ragnarok. Yep, and he's Golden. also the brother of a upcoming character that we will see. You know. Rumor and innuendo right now is that we're supposed to see 
the gardener show up. Oh, wow. Who, you know, and we heard, you know, through Twitter, in like a very brief correspondence, James Gunn wanted to meet with Mark Hamill. Wow. And that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> looking in the uh, Jerry Dugan all new Guardians of the Galaxy run, they have the gardener in there. Right. And the appearance of him reminds me of Luke Circa, The Last Jedi, the big bushy beard, the right. crazy look to him. And if that's what they're going to do, I can totally see Mark Hamill playing the gardener and being one of the three brothers. That'd be amazing. I really like that. And there's so much you can do with this. There's so many different story threads you can take with that. And it got me excited when I saw the, the collector in this because it's such a unique, bizarre character that whenever I see the character show up in any Marvel media, Benicio Del Toro's character is the first person I think of. I read his lines in comics right. in that over-the-top grandeur of uh, Del Toro. When he does that thing with his hands, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. When, when he's like, oh, <laughs> he's just gushing over the Infinity Stones. <laughs> It's one of those. It's one of the most understated but greatest performances ever. Like he's just, he. There's just so much going on. And again, it's funny to see the Marvel Star Wars connection. Yeah, he ends up going on being uh, playing the role of DJ in the Last Jedi and being a part of that world. Yep. And he's such a great character, and it bummed me out so much when his character really wasn't all that utilized in The Last Jedi. I wanted more of him, and I wanted to see more of him in future films, but here we are. Are we to believe that the Collector is dead? Is there <sighs> any... Like, we haven't been kind of... That hasn't been confirmed. Uh, although all his, his entire <laughs> collection seemingly was destroyed by Thanos, and maybe he did kill him, but... I could see him escaping, Yeah, to be honest. I, I can see... And by the way, one of my favorite things was that scene got leaked about a year before the movie came out. I remember watching on uh, YouTube and it was just a random video of the unfinished scene. And you just hear, I'm tired of waiting collector. Wow. So yeah, I remember seeing that scene before it got released and like before the movie, like I see, I remember watching that part where star Lord is saying no, one, two, three, right, now right. go. Yeah. But that was just a random aside. But with that character, I, I don't think he's dead because there's still use of that character. There's so much, so many more stories in the MCU you, you can tell with Collector. Yeah. And another thing I like about the, that scene is just everything that's in there. And, you know, later on you see Howard Thuduk, you yeah. see um, Cosmo, which... I love that he's just a quick little Easter egg for the hardcore fans of the Annihilation Annihilation Conquest storyline. Yeah, and you could totally put him in three as a cameo or something like he's he has staying power if they wanted to you know, go in that direction. I think that really works for him. And then, of course, you know, Warlock Adam Warlock is in the background in his cocoon. Yes, that we're led to believe. Yeah. They they seemingly always wanted to want to include him, but are looking for the perfect, I guess, set of circumstances to bring him in. To be honest, he's hard to include if you don't include uh, the Silver Surfer. But that's just my opinion. Right. So uh, suddenly, the group is ambushed by Ronan and his crew. They find out that Drax called Ronan again, suicide by Ronan. 
Uh, Drax was tired of waiting to face Ronin, so he told Ronin where they were. Uh, Yandu shows up too. Gamora, Rocket, and Quill take off in a single in single passenger ships, while Nebula and some of Ronin's goons chase after them. Drax tries to fight Ronin, but gets beaten up badly. Ronin says he doesn't even remember killing Drax's family, nor will he remember killing Drax now. Very, very cold-hearted. Uh, Nebula chases Gamora's ship above the atmosphere and blows it up. She uh, gets the Infinity Stone and leaves Gamora floating in space to die. Peter realizes that he can't allow Gamora to die, so he calls Yondu to tell them where he is, then exits his ship and floats to Gamora where he gives her his mask to keep her alive. Um, this is one of my most favorite moments in the MCU, like of all the movies. Uh, I love how the score just gets louder and louder. I love the colors and the lights from space. I love Rocket pleading with him, you'll die. <laughs> you'll die. Come on. What are you doing? All that stuff. And the slow motion shot of Yandu's ship coming in. Oh, chef's kiss. All that stuff. Really, really good stuff. And probably the, mo- the biggest sacrificial moment for Star-Lord at the time. And one of the things that, you know, I just thought about it. That moment is needed for the Gamora-Star-Lord relationship to really kickstart and go forward, you know. Yeah. Because when you see their, re- you know, how they act, you know, the, the time-displaced Gamora, the one that lives in yeah. Endgame. Yeah. She's, really? I fe- I'm in love with this guy? Well, the only option was a tree or a raccoon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's, there is that, but. The reason she falls for him is because he sacrificed his own life yeah. for her. Yep. This the time displaced Gamora does not have that, you know, experience with him. So she doesn't realize that why he's so why they need each other. Yes. And I think I, I stated this when we were talking about the um maybe the Infinity War or the uh, endgame commentary, but I was saying that there's a major difference when it comes to perspective of the world and your world, right? Like the world is one thing, but then you have your world and your world is, is intimate. It's smaller. It's more controllable. Um, Peter Quill lives in the world, but his world very quickly becomes the Guardians and Gamora. Like that's Absolutely. it. That's it. So when the push comes to shove and he finds out that one of the members of his world is gone, it literally his world because everything else is gone. I don't blame him for flipping out and acting as he did because, you know, come on. That, again, it was his world. It may not be the world. Like, people kept telling me, but Peter has to think about the entire world. He did. That was his entire world. That was his whole world. It's gone. <laughs> and, that's why, and that's why I'm a firm proponent of hashtag Star-Lord did nothing wrong. I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh our boy Yandu shows up and collects Peter and Gamora with a tractor beam right before they would have died. Uh, this is where we see that Yandu's ship is the same ship that abducted Peter as a child. Meanwhile, aboard the Dark Aster, which is a really cool looking ship, uh, Ronan tells Thanos that now he, Ronan, has the Infinity Stone, so he's going to cut Thanos out of the deal. Instead, he's going to enjoy, uh, enjoy destroying Xandar himself, and then he's going to go after Thanos. He puts the Infinity Stone into his hammer and back on Yandu's ship. Yandu is about to kill Peter for double-crossing him, but doesn't when Peter says that he has a plan to get the orb back. Meanwhile, on Nowhere, Drax, Groot, and Rocket decide to join forces and save Peter from Gamora, uh, Peter and Gamora from Yandu. This is actually a really good moment because Rocket is, is threatening to blow up 
Yandu's ship <laughs> unless Yandu releases Gamora and Peter, even though they're both not like held hostage. So I, it, again, you have a moment of self-sacrifice where Rocket, Groot, and, and Drax are prepared to to Shanghai these guys out of their uh, captivity. What I've always found funny, especially with the character of Yandu in this, is he's such a background ancillary character that isn't really of much importance. Yeah, and then you end up making his character matter and be important in the sequel. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, he's an OG guardian. Do you do you like his characterization here? It's so much better than the uh, in the original than the original <laughs> one because the original one is he's a uh, it's not very politically correct nowadays. When you look right. back, at is he like a Native American pacifist or something? Yep. <laughs> that was just a guess, literally on the design. I'm like, I, he looked like some sort of uh, Native American pacifist, but yeah, they got it's, they cut all that out. Yeah, they. Although there are elements left over of what he is, you know, with the uh, Yaku arrow and everything, yeah. which it's it's fine, you know. But it's very much like, oh, ooh, ooh, you're really gonna do that, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Like, good job. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Arnold Drake and uh, Gene Colan. Good job, guys. <laughs> they they found ways to skirt around a lot of that problematic stuff, like the Mandarin. You know, like. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> you know, like they they they've been ducking and dodging a lot of that a lot of their history. Uh, when oh, and I show. I do laugh when I hear people say, "Why can't you make them like the original way?" Because you know we have this thing called uh, education. Yes, you mean the you mean where he's uh where he's a green skinned man because he's so different and he has the Fu Manchu yep. and all that stuff. That's what you that's what you because everybody in uh in uh China, you know, that's uh, that's how everybody's doing it now. I appreciate the Ben Kingsley version just because I can do a Ben Kingsley impression. That you may call me man. a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. I, I will never see me coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. It's amazing. Uh, I, I, yeah, I love Yandu. I actually got to ask one question during the Q and a, at, uh, my second comic con to the man. I was very excited. I asked him who he thought was better, Robert Kirkman or Kevin Smith. And he just, Ooh. yes. And th- that literally the whole hall gave me that same <laughs> answer. And then he said, ah, that's a good question. And then he said, nice shirt. And he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think he said they were both kind of big. <laughs> like literally it, big. All, it, it makes me laugh because when I think about um, Michael Rooker in the movie, I always forget that he's Brandy's father in Mallrats. Like that's yes, always yeah. the one moment I'm just like, oh yeah, that is him. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm again, I'm shocked, you know, they never made like little like Mallrats is technically canon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because if you remember Captain Marvel, Stan Lee is reading the trust the me, true believer. Yeah, he's reading the script. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> which, by the way, fun fact about that movie, that line is actually a line read of him saying that. From 1995's Mallrats because Stan could not remember his line at that point. Oh, wow. It's not really a fun fact. It's more of a depressing fact. Right, right, right. I think Stan makes it fun, though. Absolutely. I I think he does a good job to make it fun. Um, I think there's also some, uh, you know, I had just seen Walking Dead not too long ago when this had came out. I fell off of that show because it got kind of crazy, but I did like his acting as Merle. That's another comic book. I mean, it was he wasn't in the comics, but that's another comic book role that he took. There's a little bit of that gruffness here. Um, 
I love the whole conversation about like we could eat we couldn't eaten you, you know? They said they never tasted Terran before. And he's like, normal people don't <laughs> eat people. You're not supposed to thank people for not being eaten. <laughs> and the way he the way Pratt delivers that line is in such a childish way. Like it's something yeah. he's been wanting to say for a very long time. Like they've been trying to make him feel grateful that he hasn't been eaten. And he's like, normal people don't don't make other people feel grateful for stuff like that. Really, really good stuff. Um, it's so great. And they have another amazing moment because now on the Milano, Peter explains that they must prevent Ronan from touching the Infinity Stone to the ground of Xandor because it will wipe out the planet. And so he has a plan to stop Ronan. The others ask Peter if he really has a plan or if he's lying. And he says he has part of a plan. After much discussion, he says he has 12% of a plan. Everyone scoffs except Groot, the optimist, who says that this is more than 11% of a plan, <laughs> which is true. Groot, Groot's on, you know, Groot's on the, on the money. Rocket says that they will have, mo- they will most likely die if they try to stop Ronin. And Peter points out that they have already lost so much that at this point they have nothing to lose. Slowly, each of them stands up and announces that they will join the fight against Ronin. A perfect hero moment. And uh, James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn, who did the onset acting for Rocket Raccoon, improvised the line, a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. <laughs> and again, it's lines like that are what encapsulate these characters for me as the band of misfits. And just, it's perfect. They know, I, and this was a this was something that people harped on in Ragnarok that I didn't really agree with. But Guardians is really good at undercutting the 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 seriousness of a moment with a silly gag, and it doesn't take away the gravitas of the moment, in my opinion. Um, no, not at all. It 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 just adds like a little punctuation there. But the way that they're able to do, like even that, that I'm like, wow, look at them. And he, right as I'm thinking that, Rocket says, "Look at us, a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle." Because again, what is, besides symbolic, what does it mean? We all just standing, like that's just like what? Yeah. that's that's all we're doing. We're just standing. Hilarious. And it's it's making fun of the tropes of all of that. Yes. Yep. Because that's what you do. We put our hands in. We stand up. All for one. Um, and then you have like a movie, like, again, you know, we, we harp on it, but like go back to Justice League. There's so many cliches. And of course, the standard Whedon cliches of, hey, let's all stand and sit around in a circle and talk about our problems. Right. Yep. Well, we play with our fingers. <laughs> Pretty right. much. Uh, but the, this, this group doesn't have any time for that. They suit up and they do their badass slow motion hallway walk to Cherry Bomb, which I thought was really, really cool. <laughs> And it's funny because they have a list of um, James Gunn has been like releasing music of what would have been on different versions of the movie. Okay. And he has a um, list on Spotify. If you follow James Gunn on Spotify, he he puts out some really great playlists. And one of them is the Meredith Quill complete unreleased awesome mix. Oh, that's awesome. And one of the songs is Children of the Revolution by T-Rex. Wow. And... I love the usage of that song on his playlist because it fits a scene like this where you see them walking together, getting ready. Yeah. But he ultimately did not use it. And I imagine like there's going to be a lot of stuff that he is able to use in future movies that I can't wait to find out. Yeah. And doing research, I found out that originally Hooked on a Feeling was going to be used for that opening montage of uh, or opening scene of Star-Lord taking the orb. But come and get your love just melded better. 
So they pilots. Pilots, ooh, 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 it's magic was supposed to be in there. Living oh, thing wow. by ELO. A lot of stuff made the cutting room floor, but they were supposed to be utilized. Yeah, and we got time. We got we got another film. So oh hell yeah, uh, that Zune has a lot of music on it. Yes, it does. <laughs> Zune. Peter Peter warns the Nova headquarters that Ronan is coming to destroy them and they should get ready, telling them that they should believe his message and this is important because he's not a hundred percent a dick. <laughs> Rocket's idea is to blow a hole in Ronan's ship so Peter, Groot, Drax, and Gamora can board it. Gamora is going to cut the power for Ronan's security and then they're going to blow him up with a cannon that Rocket made. They start that plan. Like Rocket blows up the hole in the Dark Aster and then they help Yandu and his men defeat Xandar against Ronan's fighter ships. But Yandu is shot down. On the ground, told to surrender, he instead uses his arrow weapon to take out an entire platoon of goons. So this is interesting because you were talking about how if you add any more to this, um, it kind of falls apart. Like the pacing and everything is so perfect that you can't really add anything to this. And I think that that goes to great lengths in this scene because the arrow's not explained. We don't know why it does what it does. We don't know how it's used. The way that they played that scene is like, oh, we even got cool things that, that like, sitting on the back burner. You know? Like, he's had this arrow with him this entire time. Don't even worry yeah. about it. We'll show you what it does in a quick scene. But, like, like that's, that's, the, that's the least of your worries right now <laughs> with everything going I think on. The- for this stuff, I think like the term is Chekhov's gun. Yeah, if I'm correct. Yeah, you're right because he threatens he threatens one of his um his constituents with the arrow early on when he says that he has too much of a soft spot for Quill. Um, and I don't think I don't think this film ever really wanted us to hate him. We might have thought of him being a, a bit antagonistic at times, but it goes to great lengths. Like I said, even in the dialogue to say like, oh. Like, people would have killed Peter a long time ago if it wasn't for Yondu. And that maybe maybe not be grateful for the eating, but you should at least be grateful for not being eaten, but at least be grateful for that. So I think that's right. Uh, Arrows. Where did I go? Okay. On the Dark Aster, Gamora and Nebula get into a big fight. I love that Drax calls her a whore. (laughs) It's it's such a... (laughs) Like out of the blue line, no pun intended. And his delivery—he's like, and this green whore is my friend. (laughs) It's such a great line. You are my friend. Uh, Really, really good, perfect delivery. Um, They get into a big fight. While go ahead, brother. It's it's a a perfect example of a guy who who does not know how to read a room. Right, right. He thinks he's he's bestowing them all great, um, you know, like like compliments. (laughs) Yeah. that's that's hilarious. Dozens of Nova ships linked together to form, form a giant net and slow the descent of the Dark Aster. I thought that was a pretty cool visual to watch these ships link and, and, and form a blockade, as, as they're told, by Glenn Close, who kills Dalmatians in her off time. Uh, <laughs> Gamora finally beats Nebula, who chooses to fall, landing on a Ravager ship and commandeers it, throwing the pilot out of the ship of the ship out of the window and flying away rather than receive help from her sister. Another real poignant moment between those two where she literally could grab her sister's hand and all this could be over, but she chooses to have no hand. Uh, it's just, it shows you the kind of relationship that they have. Um, Ronan orders his ship 
his ships to Kamikaze into Xandar. Rocket and Yandu's men shoot off as many as they can, uh, but he, he's able to break through. I love how you can tell what's happening. It's important to note yeah. that Transformers Age of Extinction came out the same year. <laughs> and I think majority of that is incomprehensible. But you can see what these ships are doing. You can see the plan, the way the camera um, pans out. So you can see the full scope of this ship breaking into the atmosphere. Really, really good work when it comes to this stuff. Because it, it can just turn into a mess of lasers and gears and ships, you know? I think they do it. Well, one, do you know what movie also came out at the exact same time as this one? I, I don't. The first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the uh, reboot. <laughs> Michael Bay's own, huh? And it's funny because what is the more memorable film? This film. Definitely. Yeah. Def- and, I, and again, the IP on the other side is way stronger. Everybody knows the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Turtles did better box office-wise, I believe, in the United States. But internationally, Guardians did smoke it. Yeah. Well, those Turtles look kind of weird. So I don't blame international audiences oh, for being yeah. like, why, why are these Goombas <laughs> trying to save the day? Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, almost at the bridge, Drax kills Korath. He finally is able to do it. Uh, what is it? Finger across throat means death, I think he says. Um, yes. That, it's such a great line. Yeah. And Korath finally recognizes Star-Lord. He goes, oh, it's Star-Lord. He goes, oh, he finally recognized me. Groot, Groot flips out, grows a long, thin branch, and impales many goons. And then he just like whips them around and takes them all out. I was like, wow. It, it reminded me of Iron Man 2 of like, we couldn't start start all this with that? Like, you couldn't come in and just do all this from the jump? Well, my favorite part about that part with Groot is the fact of that, just that all this carnage happens, death upon death, and you just see a little uh, smile. Yes. Yeah. It, just, it reflects it so perfectly of, oh, I am so not messing with him. <laughs> right, and they they're shocked by his level of uh, you know, violence in this scene. Like, it's like playful oh to him. Yes. Yep. Um uh, Did I do good guys? Yes. Look, look, I could do it too. Everyone makes it to the bridge to fight Ronin. Um, but he's too strong for them. Peter manages to shoot Ronin with Rocket Super Cannon, but it does nothing. Rocket crashes the Milano onto the bridge and seems to have destroyed Ronin. The entire ship is plummeting towards Xandar, so Groot forms a giant nest around all of them for safety. Rocket's upset because he knows that Groot, what Groot is doing will end up killing him. Groot, who up until this point has only said, I am Groot, responds with, we are Groot. Another touching moment. What do you think about that scene? It's one of those where when it was revealed that Groot dies, you think, oh, it's just a, gr- it's a sweet little moment. And then you realize... Oh, that like that's each of these groups have their own ultimate sacrifice. You have in the Avengers, Tony Stark with uh, I am Iron Man. Right. And then you have. What's his name? Doctor Strange has like one of again, another ultimate sacrifice with him and Dormammu. Yeah, he would have done that forever if, if it need be. But he kept dying. Yeah. And dying and dying. He died many times to save everyone. And then you have Groot with the ultimate self-sacrifice with that. It's a gorgeous looking scene to look at as well. And just 
again, you get that emotion out of a bunch of ones and zeros. You would not get that in many other, like you, that, that emotional impact you get is palpable with some of the best movies or the best, you know, shows you've seen on Broadway. So to get that emotion, that's pretty damn strong. And again, for like a sentient tree and not to downplay it again, Tyler Bate, great job with the music in this moment, really somber. Um, the, we are group moment, the moment with the fireflies, really beautiful stuff. Um, and I think Vin Diesel made you feel, yes. (laughs) And like you were saying before, like this, I, not until I laid this out, the plot out like this, have, did I realize that everybody in their own way had to come to the realization that this is the family that they wanted. Each one of them at a different point in time. Drax literally confessing that they're all his friends now, you know, Um, each one of them had to come to that own realization at their own time. So when you get to the end point and the words Guardians of the Galaxy are literally used, it it does something to you. You now feel this team. Everybody on this team wants to be on this team. And I didn't get that from Justice League. (laughs) Again, not to kick, not to keep kicking it, but it's like it, 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 what felt so simple obviously isn't. It obviously right. isn't simple to make a team feel organic and feel like they want to be with each other and want to hang out with one another. Uh, it seems to be a lot harder than I think, but man, did they nail it here. Absolutely. So the ship crashes. Everyone except Groot is okay. Groot is now a pile of twigs strewn about. The battle is not over, though, because Ronan is still fine. He sarcastically calls Peter and his crew the Guardians of the Galaxy. As he raises his hammer for a final blow, Peter stands up and starts to dance to the song Ooh Child and challenges uh, Ronan to a noble Terran tradition, the dance-off. I have to, I have to stop the, the, the synopsis to ask you, what did you think in this moment? Right there, he starts singing, tells him he's going to challenge him to a dance-off. What were you thinking was up old Peter Quill's sleeve? That is the most random song to choose for a dance-off, and it did not fit the moment whatsoever. <laughs> You're right. That is a random song. No one does a dance-off to, to Motown. Like, what is he doing? But, that would be uh, like doing a dance it, it tonally doesn't fit the moment, but it's also like, you know what? He would have that on there. Like, a dance-off would be good with um, Cherry Bomb or something. I don't right. know. Just something like, with something a little, a little bit more pace. More, like, yeah. Not <laughs> Even Ain't No Mountain High Enough would have worked for that. Yeah. And then, um, there's a deleted scene or a deleted version of this where they do do a dance-off. Where Peter dances, he throws it to Ronan, Ronan dances, he throws it to Drax. It's hilarious. It's really, really good stuff. Uh, I'll see if I can link it. But um, I I remember like doing like, what the hell? But when he goes, and now you got to break it down. Someday. And he starts doing the running man. I, I, I lost it. I'm like, what is going on? He's really committed to it's this. Su- it's such a memorable moment. And again, you know, like I've heard people complain about the scene because they'll go, really, you're doing a dance off in such a serious moment? Yeah, because this is how the Guardians work. They do a Bugs Bunny-esque kind of uh, move to attain a victory. And again, going with the character of Peter Quill, this will work for him because he's watched, you know, growing up as a kid, watching Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff like this. Right. And somehow, in a fluke, it actually worked. And it might seem like a bad plan because they were desperate as hell. This dance-off was at no point in the cards prior to them getting on, starting this mission. 
Now it's him thinking on his feet because he needs, what, 10, 15 seconds until uh, uh, Rocket and Drax are able to get that, that big uh, cannon uh, operational. But you can see in his eyes, I looked at this time during the rewatch, you, he's looking right at, he's not breaking his gaze with Ronan because he's hoping to keep him interested, you know, keep him distracted long enough for this. At any point in time, if Ronan was just like, what is this? And just flicks him off, it's over. He touches his staff to the ground, and Xandar's gone. But just a, a couple of dance moves to save the entire uh, universe, at least that planet in particular. Right. Ronan asks, what are you doing? And Peter distracts, uh, responds, distracting you, you turd blossom, as Drax and Rocket shoot Ronan's hammer um, at Ronan, releasing the Infinity Stone. Peter grabs the Infinity Stone before Ronan. Peter starts to be affected in the same way as the Collector's assistant, Holding the stone is going to kill him, but Gamora tells him to take her hand. He flashes back to when he did not have the same courage to take his mom's hand and now grabs Gamora's. Drax and Rocket hold hands with the others. The music swells as the team is adorned with immense energy and the power from the Infinity Stone is spread amongst the four of them. And they all survive. Quill targets the energy directly at Ronin as he reiterates what Ronin called them, stating that they are indeed the Guardians of the Galaxy, before killing the Madman. Wow, that was great. <laughs> yeah. still, still a really, really good scene. Again, the music swells up again. Take my hand! Just, just all of that. So good. Um, seeing Pratt drop a tear. Really, really heartbreaking stuff. Ah. Uh, it all works. The special, the visual effects of his skin breaking apart. Um, all of them grab, holding hands. You can't get a better moment than this. It's really, really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And yes, um, yes, Ronan kind of gets done away with, like a dance, and then this blast, and it's over. But the weight of the movie uh, complemented that ending. And I think, yeah, it, you can't, you can't do any better. They. They make these characters so memorable, not just with their interactions, you know, with each other, but also just the actions of them on their own. And, you know, this moment where they realize we have nothing to lose. Let's just go all in. And they do it. And that's, again, it's a personification of who they are as characters. Yeah. And watching them have all that, um, you know, holding the power stone together, the camera swirling around, the purpleness of it all, really, really stunning visual work. Um, Rocket collects one of the sticks that was once Groot. Yandu appears and demands the stone as per his original deal with Peter. Peter hands him the orb, but tells him not to open it or he might destroy the universe. As Yandu and his men take off, one of them notes that he likes Peter and he's glad he didn't take him back to his dad like they were supposed to all those years ago. The first tease at Quill's real dad. I thought they would go with Jason. Are you? Do you have any issues with the ego of it all? Well, I I like the idea of going with ego instead because it gives it a much more grander feeling of. Yeah, you have like I feel like going with a uh, royalty like Jason would have been cliche with you know like the oh it turns out you were royalty all along right 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 you end up taking that with ego flipping on its flipping it on its ear and making it even bigger by literally making his father a planet yeah it's such a weird twist but it also made sense too because they were going to bring the character over due to the um 
negotiation Disney did with Fox to get the rights to the character. Negasonic, um, right? It was something with where they could change up the interpretation of Negasonic. Okay. So we'll let you have this character if you let us change us up uh, Negasonic. I'm almost hundred percent sure that conversation was like, "You want who? Yeah, 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 sure, sure." <laughs> pretty much, and like, because where are they really going to utilize a character like Ego? You need if because Ego is a Fantastic Four ish character. You want to go with maybe something bigger, right? You know, and no pun intended, but it's like that's that's also a storyline where it's further down the line. Right. Like Ego's not going to be a character that appears instantaneously in a Fantastic Four movie. You want to utilize characters like Galactus, uh, Silver Surfer, uh, Doctor Doom. Ego is like you know maybe seventh movie down the line if they do like a, they last that long. Do you think um, with the introduction of Ego, there will be no Jason? Does that mean that character is shelved for now? I always say it like this. I never thought we were going to see a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Right. Anything's possible with these. You know, they'll, they can bring characters in at any time. Like, it, it's, it's all up to Lord Feige. You know, Lord Feige will be the one that, you know, ultimately decides when is the right time. He just puts his, his thumb up and down, like in the Roman Coliseum. <laughs> Pretty much. He's going to be Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix and Gladiator. That's it. Uh, we, we're winding down, though. Uh, Peter reveals that he switched the orbs and he still has the one with the stone. Drax comforts a grieving rocket who is holding a twig in his hand. I think that's also a very poignant moment because you can tell that Drax is not used to comforting people, nor does he understand how he should comfort Rocket, but he goes with his instincts and pets him. <laughs> I don't know. At first, Rocket looks a little bit taken aback, like I'm not a rat, but then he kind of just lets him do it. Um... At the Nova headquarters, they turn over the orb that contains the Infinity Stone, and Peter learns he's only half-human and half-something ancient and unknown. They speculate that his non-human genes allowed him to hold the Infinity Stone without dying. Gamora is shocked when Drax declares Thanos is next on his list. The Nova Corps gifts Star-Lord a ship for his help defending the universe and cleared all of their criminal records. Peter finally opens the present his mom gave him before she died, and it's a cassette labeled Awesome Mix number two. The letters... And, Go ahead, brother. Well, when you just mentioned that it's the reveal of Awesome Mix volume two. Yeah. Does this mean... Because technically, some people have argued whether or not Ain't No Mountain High Enough is a part of volume one or volume two, because... Oh, you're right. It should be volume two. <laughs> so, technically, yeah, it's a volume two song. He gave us a little bit of a, of a tease. You know, and it's it's a different. So, I like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One, but I love Two so much more. And if, if you do an episode about that movie, oh, I'll let you boy because that's <laughs> that's I've gone in depth on that that movie and on our uh, Marvelous episode available in the archives. Yes. Um, and yeah, there's this movie is special in its own right, but Volume Two like takes that and amps it up to eleven. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and, and like, you know, she gets, a, she, uh, he reads a letter and it says all of the normal kind of stuff about, you know, like, I love you, you know, I'll always be with you. And I remember when I watched it today, I was like, what is the point of a letter? Like it literally could have just been, you know, Hey, I hope you enjoy this. Love you, mom. Um, I think what was what, now obvious to me in my little brain is that the letter, uh, is there so that we can find out that his mother called him star Lord. 
Right. Uh, which clues oh, yes. us into the origin of the whole code name, which also clues us into why he's so adamant that people should call him it. That was what his mom called. And to, to have that call back and like after like it's such a silly name kind of on the face of it. Star Lord, he's a human, you know, like it it's very pompous. But if you when you find out that oh no, he didn't create that himself, it was when his mom used to call him. It's it's a heartbreaking moment. It's a heart humor and spectacle all over this film. And this is just another example of how they're able to make it personal again. Right. Uh, Honestly, like that's, that's the importance of lines like that. And just, it's, it's a bombshell in the best ways possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a party on Yandu's ship because now they have the infinity stone. His crew is celebrating, but he is not really digging it. He looks suspiciously at the orb and then decides to open it. And it's a troll doll inside. And he smiles. I guess he wasn't too upset with getting uh, gypped by old Star-Lord. Um, where am I? The Nova Corps lock up the real Power Stone. And as Quill plays the tape and Ain't No Mountain High Enough plays, he asks the Guardians where they want to go. Gamora says, you lead Star-Lord. He asks if they want to do something good or something bad. Uh, he then decides that they should do something that's both. Rocket holds a pot in which he has stuck the stick that he retrieved after Groot's sacrifice. We can see the face of a tiny Groot on the stick. In the what I would have to call pre-credits, uh, we see the introduction of the greatest merch item in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Baby Groot. And it's funny because the Baby Groot stuff Baby Groot is synonymous with the Guardian stuff. And I like Baby Groot, but I wasn't like, oh my God, Baby Groot, Baby Groot. Yeah. Just like with the Mandalorian, with the child. I'm just like, okay, guys. Right, cool. right. There's, there's a story behind that that cute child. <laughs> you know, like there's other Absolutely. things going on in the background. <laughs> but it's like, damn. Like it, that was the moment they didn't realize that that would blow up. Right. And, you know, it's kind of funny watching these companies, they'll try and do their own version of what made a baby Groot or the child successful. Like you look at planters with baby nut and did not work. No, it did not. No. Um, so I, 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 it's funny. My, my feelings towards baby, I mean, I like baby Groot. I actually have a baby Groot. Somebody gave me a baby Groot like plush. But I, what I like about that character is that it allows um, Groot to extend his kind of presence on the team. And because he's doing it as a child, you don't get tired of the same things that we saw in this film. We're almost right. It gives it a new, a new sense of longevity. A hundred percent. He changed gimmicks is what I'm trying to say. You know, Groot, yes. Groot, Groot went Hollywood. He changed gimmicks. He's trying to extend his, his stuff here. Uh, I always go with Bray Wyatt for that. He used to be the boring fat guy with the uh, Hawaiian shirts. And now he's uh, the fiend, which I actually love. But they both kind of look the same on their backs, which is where he spends most of his career. Poor Bray. I love the guy. I don't know why they don't like him. Uh, so uh, just to finish this off, I have a couple of random bits of trivia that I thought were interesting. You were talking about Groot and not knowing the success of that of Baby Groot. Well, the film itself generated a renewed interest and demand for personal cassette tape players. I know this because when I went to go look for a Walkman for my cosplay, it was very expensive. <laughs> and it's because, the walk, yeah. Well, the Sony Walkman TPS-L2 
and I know this from frequent eBay searches, right. is something that even broken fetches about $500. Wow. And I, there have been days where I'm just like, eh, screw my bills. No, don't do that, dumbass. Do not do right, that. Right, right. So it's... instead I buy spawn books like an idiot. But um, right, right. I digress. Um, but seeing that demand for that, yeah, it's... You have to like really look hard for that. And even then, people know what they have now. And you can't even get it for less than $100, which is insane to say that. Right. It was such an archaic piece of technology. And yeah, still going for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Another little fun fact. Vin Diesel recorded his lines wearing stilts so he can get a sense of how large Gru actually is. Oh, my God. I don't <laughs> understand why someone would do this. So he's like, oh, no, I'm ready. Just get me the stilts. Make sure you have the stilts in the booth for me. I don't know how that works. Did he become a car for the Fast and Furious? He spent a lot of time in a car, you know, just talking to the car, getting to be the car. Something about a quarter mile at a time. Uh, the character of Yandu supposedly, well, not supposedly, he does sport a mohawk in the comics. James Gunn decided not to give his friend Michael Rooker a wig, saying that Rooker's clumsiness would make it a foil to his acting. So he almost had hair. Now he has that like, little stone mohawk or, or thing. This I found extremely interesting. This, is the film, uh, this film is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe film to not have a kissing scene. Quill and Gamora almost kiss, but they, Gamora withdrew at the last moment. Does that still stand? I'm trying I'm not to think sure, now. Actually. I'm trying to think now. Every every Iron Man movie has a kiss in it. I don't think Thor Ragnarok has a kiss in it. Maybe. <laughs> I think Thor Ragnarok may not have a kiss in it. Besides that, but for the most part, yeah, they all they all get a little bit of loving in there. That's one of those I might actually have to look up. Like yeah. check that out next time. I know it is the first. I want to know what else is now in those ranks. And I think I'll also check that out just as a little fun exercise. Um, and the last thing I have is just Guardians of the Galaxy was first published in 1969 with a different team. Uh, and you were mentioning the Star Wars connection. The team in the film are all composed of characters who existed in Marvel Comics before A New Hope came out. Intentionally. So Star-Lord appeared in Marvel Preview number 4 in January of 1976. Gamora, oh, well, because, you know, uh, New Hope was 1977. Rocket appeared in Marvel Preview number 7 in the summer of 1976. Gamora, Strange Tales number 180, June of 1975. Drax the Destroyer, Iron Man number 55, February of 1973. And Groot, as we said again, Tales of... To Astonish, number 13, November 1960. Happy birthday, Groot. So, yeah, that Star Wars connection <laughs> is definitely there. So that is interesting. What do you think is next for this franchise? How do you think they handled part two? We won't go, obviously, too much in depth with part two, just in case we uh, want to open up that can of worms here on the podcast. But, what, like, from this moment, it could have been a misstep, right? We still don't know what three is looking like, but how are you feeling about the franchise as a whole, their inclusion in um, Infinity War and Endgame, etc.? I, I see bright things ahead for the uh, franchise, but as a Guardians fan, I feel like a fan of the Chicago Cubs. We just can't seem to win for some reason. Yeah. Uh, 
because you know with everything that had happened that one year with yes. James Gunn. Yep. And then we have you know the delay of that because of that. Then James Gunn comes along and we're like, oh, awesome. Right. And then COVID happens, and then everything gets even further delayed. Yep. So it's like the equivalent of I would even equate it to uh, Homer Simpson with the frozen yogurt and the cursed crusty <laughs> doll. Yeah. I can see that. It's you get you get one positive thing, then a bad. Then a positive, then a bad. So right. I'm excited for something good to happen just to immediately have my hopes and dreams crushed. <laughs> Here's an interesting question. Do you think the Midas touch of James Gunn can can do something with the Suicide Squad? Are you hyped for Absolutely. that for that uh film? I'm partially hyped because I'm trash because I am excited for uh, something with Pete Davidson. So <laughs> as a Pete Davidson fan, I'm excited. I thought you were going for John Cena. I mean, you know, when you can see him in the movie, but right, right, right. Guy's a hard man to catch. He really is. I mean, I took a selfie with him, and it turns out there was nobody behind me. My God, is there anyone in uh, in, in the Guardians who you think should get a, a bigger spotlight in three? Is there any space-faring character that you think should debut in three? I'm I'm hoping we could get something with either Adam Warlock or the Silver Surfer, but if we're going to get something, you know, in terms of you know putting the spotlight on a character more, it's interesting. I, I equate Volume Two to um, Cannonball Run, okay. which is a weird thing to compare it to, but it's tandems. You end up having the um, two characters each get the spotlight and tell their story. So in Volume Two, you have Star Lord and Ego. You have Rocket and Yondu. You have Groot is kind of by himself in terms of that. Right. But you have Gamora and Nebula. Then you have Drax and um, Mantis. Right. And they each tell their own story, and they each get their own fair spotlight. But That's I would true. say if we're if we're gonna do that, Volume Three is gonna be Rocket, straight up Rocket, based on you know what I've heard. And it's going to be more of a focus on him. I can see that. Maybe bringing that otter that they're always talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, his little boo. Um, I just I want more music. You know, maybe maybe some more space villains. Maybe clue me in some more some, some more cosmic nefariousness that's going on uh, in the next Guardians. I know they got some real big bads up there. I want to, I want Marvel to explore it because I mean, for the most part, come the next phase of all this, we're on new ground with a lot of things. Uh, we're gonna see what sticks and what doesn't. Guardians is one of the last remnants to come over still with this Guardians three. Um, do you think Thor's in it? Was there any like word about that? I know they teased well, it at the end I of know uh, the rumor. Yeah, the rumor is it's supposed to involve Thor, but. To be honest, what I think is going to happen is we're going to be getting more introductions to the overall X-Men universe. And because the Guardians of the Galaxy in the current interpretation on screen is James Gunn's version of how he would have done another Marvel-related group in outer space. Right. And that's my favorite space swingers themselves, the Star Jammers. Ah, is because it Cyclops, Pops, Star, Star Jammer? Yes, sir. All right. All right. That's a, he's a Corsair. Yes. And what I think is going to happen is we are going to see, in Volume 3, my bold prediction, the Guardians meet the Star Jammers. That'd be cool. It'd be cool if it was kind of like a, 
I don't know if you saw um, Double Tap, uh, Zombieland. I have, but, I've been wanting to see it. I've been so lazy with going, you know, eventually seeing that. It'd be interesting if there's like mirror versions of everyone on the Star Jammers. <laughs> like if Peter Quill has to meet a Peter Quill-esque member of the Star Jammers. And it's like, I don't know what's up with I this mean, guy. I <laughs> mean, they kind of are. They absolutely right. kind of are. You know, you have uh, Chad or Chode or whatever his name is. He plays the Drax role. Right. You have um, Corsair, Star-Lord, and other characters that I don't remember their names of. Right. But you have all of them. They, each of them are a parallel to a Guardians member. Right. Uh, yeah, so it'll be really cool to see those guys all get together. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is the rumors right now. Uh, as far as Marvel is concerned, is that they might be gearing up or getting ready to present us with Secret Wars. Are you excited by that concept, and what do you think a movie like that can do to further uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's going to be an interesting kind of thing. I I recently read uh, Secret Wars, I want to say either earlier this year or late last year, during my... uh, X-Men reread slash uh, reacquainting. Okay. If that's the like proper that. I, word. But I, I like it though, even if it's not <laughs> reacquainting. But it was like that whole uh, story is it's better than it has any right to be for what it was supposed to be. Secret right. Wars was, you know, it was designed to sell toys for that's, uh, that's all it was. Mattel. <laughs> that was all it was and, for, yep. You know, Big Jim Shooter, he uh, went off and, you know, was the one that wrote it. And actually, as a matter of fact, if you ever notice, most of the pages in that story, the characters are all, you never have close shots of characters because no. you want to have all of the characters together. Right, yeah. So that's a little uh, fun fact. I learned that on Rob Liefeld and Rob Servations. And by the way, if you want more Rob Liefeld, be sure to listen to our interview with him from July promoting G.I. Joe Snake Eyes Dead Game. Hooray, awesome. self-plug. <laughs> um, awesome. But one of the things about that is could I see Secret Wars happening? Oh, hell yeah. I just don't know which version we'd go with because the whole battle world concept, it would be neat to see them bring back some old villains for that. Like ba- throw battle in, you world know, would maybe... probably be the cleanest concept-wise, but I think the easiest to do would probably be the Hickman. Uh... Yes, that's why I'm thinking like... the re- I say it's harder to do the 1980s version on a financial standpoint, because you have to incorporate oh so many different actors, yeah, and yeah. that's paying a lot of people to reprise a role that they want more money for now, due to the fact they realize, oh, this Marvel yeah. thing is going to get us a lot of money. Right, definitely. That means though, but would I see them doing there, right? the there's, Hickman? I think both, but even both stories are missing one huge element, right? Not only the Fantastic Four, but more Victor Von Doom, Doctor Doom. How can you do those stories yeah. without Doctor Doom? And do you think we would have gotten a Doctor Doom prior to uh, Secret Wars? Well, my prediction is Doctor Doom is going to be the next big bad for the uh, MCU. Because, yeah, you could do Galactus, but Doom is, Doom is a Thanos-level complex character. Yeah. Another thing with the Galactus is even though he didn't have that much to do in uh, that Fantastic Four that he was in where he was basically a cloud, Galactus, for the most part, is not a very emotive, 
not a very you know compelling as far as like long um you know like remember how thanos was memed for everything he said for a year <laughs> like how he he brought so much gravitas to everything i think for the most part you just kind of see him show up uh galactus he does what he does and then he's gone the bigger story in that is silver surfer but I think you're right. I think they should put a pin in that. You can always do Galactus. You put a pin in that, and you. I think you give us Doom. I'm really ready. Absolutely. There's been, there's been some really compelling stuff written about Doctor Doom literally since his inception. Like, every time they do a miniseries on that guy, really, really good stuff. I was even, I was even entertained by when he was Iron Man for a bit. That was pretty interesting. Again, he's such a complex character that you can do so much. You can make him a hero. You can make him a villain. You can, you can do everything you did with Thanos. You can do with that plus one. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and there's, there's more so of a much more you can pull off. But there's also more of a vulnerability because he's he is just a man. Yes. You know, um, and I want to see what that damn suit looks like. Please don't get get it as far away from the fan four stick version as possible that weird test dummy with a with a hoodie uh and get us some real and aside yeah well and and aside with this is the best interpretation on screen of dr doom is still the roger corman unreleased one yes which is both a shame and a testament to how much effort they put into that movie yeah, I remember the actor who played it, even though he had to, he wasn't allowed to do ADR for his lines. He did them all under a mask, uh, so he's a bit muffled. He went to great lengths to study dictators and use his hands like Mussolini and Hitler and stuff. Like, that's, yeah. that's work. That's dedication there. And now we can't even get the story right? Like, how do you get one actor who wants to go to that great lengths and then get another director or writer who's like, ah, nah, yeah, he's... Victor Domachev or whatever the hell. Like, no, that isn't. Well, like I said, you know, under Feige, he, he is an absolute stickler with this. And, like, that's why if you notice, once he no longer was involved with the Fox X-Men movies, because he was on as, like, just a, a producer. Yeah. He would be the one giving the actors comics to read. Awesome. And that's why, if you notice, the original two X-Men movies, at least, that he was involved with, have that level of attention to detail. Right. Brian Singer was banning him from set. So I don't know what the hell. <laughs> like, yeah, don't read the thing that's going to give you more insight on your character. Don't do any of that. I don't understand how that works. Uh, I guess this, right. here's, here's a softball before we uh, start signing off. What comes to the MCU first? The Fantastic Four or the X-Men? Fantastic Four. Because, honestly, Feige also kind of insinuated it uh, recently at Comic-Con 2019. Oh, you're right. When he, so did the whole, so he, he named like no a way. bunch of stuff you know, at the have... end, right? It was like Fantastic Four, Mutants. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was going off. Yeah, it's you can't do a lot without the first family. Right. I always wonder how you're going to get them Although, to be predated. How, do you, how can you still make them the first family if we haven't seen them yet? I always said they could always just be at a, on a space-faring mission. Like, they could always be that family, that crazy, really eccentric family that went on a trip 20 years ago and never came back. You know? And then they just show back, hey, guys, I thought you were dead. Oh, no, we were just hanging around the Quasar system or something like that. But we need, we need the Fantastic Four. Well, as I've always now. said, like, one of the things that... One of the things about them is that you can get away with so much by saying, you know, they're travelers, they're this, they're that. Yeah. I 
you know, I've always said like introduce them as time travelers from the sixties, because then you still end up having that 1960s space race element in there. Yeah. And maybe even then you can add a little bit of that old fashioned, you know, uh, dialogue and stuff to read, you know, <laughs> where he's, he's an old fashioned, just good natured scientist. That'd be really uh, interesting to see. I, I hope they don't try to make him edgy. Everyone's right. trying to be edgy nowadays. I like the simplistic nature of the fantastic four. They feel like home. You know, they're old fashioned. They feel like home, and that's how they sh- that's how they should feel here. Oh, but this this was an absolute great conversation about Guardians of the Galaxy. I wish I could do this all day, and I probably could, like Cap. But um, yeah, I I, I love I love talking about it. And if you've gone this far into the podcast, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Every single episode of the Major Issues podcast is available at comicbookclick.com, which is the one shop. Oh, I always say that. The one stop for all the things we do at Comic Book Click. That is Major Issues Podcast. That is the major articles that we write. That is our merchandise at Public, all in the same spot, comicbookclick.com. But you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. That's Podbean, Stitcher, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, Spotify, TuneFind, SoundCloud, and I'm probably missing some others, but wherever podcasts are found if you already have a podcast app search up the major issues podcast and the quickest way to find us is literally google major issues podcast and we'll be the first ones to pop right up because we're always talking about the newest hottest latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media we are available across social media our next episode is going to be the umbrella academy you know what that means that means when it drops on friday i have to watch all the episodes (laughs) over the weekend before uh before recording probably on next monday so that's going to be fun i love the show if you love the show write in we'll uh express your opinions on air if you do and you can reach us at facebook.com slash comic book click instagram at comic book click or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest hottest latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media and we're also at major issue cbc on the twitter machine so make sure you follow us there peter where can they find you and what are you going to be up to uh, you can find me on, like I said, Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick, and on The Marvelists on all social media platforms at The Marvelists. And I'm also available, we're also available on all other uh, streaming platforms iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, yada, yada, yada. Uh, let's see, you can also listen to my other show, Peter Melnick Can't Shut Up. I don't do many episodes of it, but I, it's, it's, the title is very true, by the way. I just cannot <laughs> shut up. Um, but you can, you know, check us out on there. And like I said, you know, a little tease of what's happening. Uh, Patreon is happening very soon. And all I can say is, you know, look up in the sky. You might see the number four written in flames. Ooh. That's my little teaser for what I'm thinking about. I that's think, all I can say. Personally, I think that's a fantastic tease. All I got to say. A, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic voyage. Even, oh, you know? my God. Uh, go yeah, like I said, they marvelous just came out with a uh with an episode where they do an interview with Michael Kingston, founder of Headlock Comics. If you like the wrestling and comics crossover, go ahead and check that out. But uh, yeah, my name is George Serrano, aka the Don. I'm Peter Melnick, and this has been our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One recap and review. And remember, whether or not there ain't nothing like you but you. Whether you're a space outlaw, the deadliest woman in the galaxy, can't comprehend metaphors, nothing goes over your head. Remember, 
we are Groot. Remember, we are the click. And remember, you, yes, you are worthy. <laughs>